Hello and welcome to The Process, a podcast about creative people and their creative processes. I'm Kevin Hugerworth. And I'm John Lee. And today we've got Chelsea Christer. Yes, uh, all the way from San Francisco, right? Yeah, San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. It was Uh, a great episode. Chelsea? It was. Yeah, Doctor you, Who. Well, usually we don't talk about the guests as a female this lead. Much. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So yeah, uh, we have a huge conversation about Doctor Who in this episode. Yes. Because uh, Chelsea, she's a huge Who. She actually she, has. She has she, another podcast. Yeah, and yeah. we should try and be on it because she <laughs> she I think she records remotely. So like right. we could we should try and be on that podcast. But, right. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, we talked about Doctor Who, and I want to I want to point out we talked about it long before in February, so before right. the new Doctor was announced, Damn, yeah. and I, we were speculating about who we wanted, and now it's like yes, like whatever, but uh, still a fun conversation. I know you're excited, Chelsea. So congratulations, congratulations to you, it's, congratulations no, to us. I'm excited. I have no idea who this person is. Oh, they have a new showrunner, which is honestly more important. Oh yes, that more is. important to me <laughs> than the Doctor. I don't know, more important, just as important. I mean, okay, more important for the sake of the show, I right. think. More important for the sake of, I mean, I'm excited. That it's a female doctor. Uh, like that that just right. should have happened. I was telling you this earlier. Like, right? It took cool. him a long. It time. took him too long. Yeah. Like, how have we had? Yeah, it's crazy. So it's like hard for me to be like proud of Doctor Who for doing this. Right. It's like, my God, why? Yeah. <laughs> it took too long. But um, I'm also just really excited. We need a new showrunner on that show. I'll yeah. actually you watch it. You haven't seen again. any of. The Twelfth Doctor's episodes. Right? I saw the first one and I thought, thought the episode was garbage. And so that, I just, is that the one with the dinosaur? I don't. Just, uh, just skip it. I think God. I even quit before I uh, got told to the you, dinosaur. We, we told. It's like the opening right, shot yeah. is a dinosaur, so that it's not that episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. It's. We told you to skip that. Yeah, season. an episode that skip starts it. with a dinosaur and I didn't like it. That's crazy. <laughs> It's How a do t- you start with a dinosaur it's a T-Rex. in London? It was in London, right? Yeah, I told you to skip that season. That's you crazy. You didn't, how do you, how do you, you didn't put, heed my how warning you, at all. How do you put a T-Rex in London and have a bad episode? That's outrageous. Yeah. It doesn't even, have, doesn't even have to like do that much All you have to do episode. is look at it a bunch. All, all you have to do is like have some bad dialogue and then look at a T-Rex in London. <laughs> That's the whole episode. That's I'm pretty, all you need. I'm pretty sure that episode, like they dropped that T-Rex. Like... <laughs> They're like, oh, a T-Rex is here. Like, they spent a lot of money on visual effects with the T-Rex, and then it's not part of the storyline. Oh, my I'm God. Pretty sure. That's so dumb. Well, I told you to skip They should have made me the showrunner. But you should have just listened to me in the first place. Why am I not the showrunner? <laughs> I can't think of a few reasons. <laughs> it's all right. I would have been the showrunner. I would have made myself the doctor. Doctor. That's what we need. And I would have just green screened in me mm. as the, the companion. Yeah. I would have been a Female real Female doctor. We need a grungy American to be the doctor. <laughs> yeah. Diversity. Grungy. grungy. Man. People, I don't know if you're grungy. You're but not the first. You're, uh, you're, you're grimy. Other people. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> friend of the show, Jane Mitchell, while we were dating, I met a bunch of her family members. Uh-huh. One of her family members called me grungy. Said you were said, grungy. said I was grungy. And I was okay. like, uh, I don't want to be introduced that way. I don't, I don't way. think you're grungy. I just think like just you wear cr- t-shirts and have long hair. So it's like, yeah. that's what grungy is to a lot of people. Yeah, see, I'm like... I, People, like, think of Kurt Cobain. He yeah, has long hair like, and he I'm, wears I'm t-shirts. Defining, I'm defining a style. Like, I'm just, like, rolling out of bed. I don't want to cut my hair. I don't want to put on nice clothes. I and think people, st- people look at that and they're like, I want grungy. that. I want that style. I'm not doing it for style. I'm, I'm doing just real, it. Grungy I'm, is, like, a nice way of saying lazy. I'm just realizing. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's, not, okay. it's not a style for me, though. It's just how I am. <laughs> All right. I'm just living my life how I want to live. And people are like, that's grunge. That- <laughs> <laughs> Kevin's doing a double point while he does it. That's grunge. That's grunge. Like the double point over over his head. That's grunge. All right. All right. We should probably let's just, get into yeah, it. Let's, oh, this is cool too. I got to actually. I, I want to because because we talked about going to Edmund's place. So we recorded this episode in 
uh, Chelsea's apartment, and she's married to Justin Sansucci, I think that's how you say it, from mm-hmm. The Matches. He's the bassist from The Matches. Right. And The Matches are like one of my all-time favorite bands. I've liked them since I was in sixth grade. And so it was just really cool to be like in this apartment with a bunch Starstruck. of a bunch of matches posters everywhere. And yeah. it was just funny because like I wasn't even there for him. So it was like, <laughs> he was just in the background. And it's like, give me a beer, Justin. But, uh, no, it was a good it was a good time. It was excellent. <laughs> uh, All right. Yeah. Let's do it. Let's get into it. All right. Uh, and we joined them. And, uh, oh, I want to also mention. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we we're supposed to try and coincide with the Kickstarter and uh, we sway didn't. She we way didn't. I'm sorry. Definitely so hates th- us now. Uh, we apologize to too many guests. Sorry, Chelsea. Uh, sorry to the match. You hate us. This I is, know you I, hate us. I know. And this is like, this is we shameful. But I just like got really depressed and I'm sorry. It's all right. And my laptop broke. You don't have to, you don't have to plug this <laughs> if you don't want. It's okay. Oh, well, I might. Anyways. Uh, and we joined them in a conversation. Already in progress. <laughs> all right. We're going. I know we had a question that we just oh, wanted, yes. we wanted to open yeah. with because we were so confused. So we were <laughs> yeah, like looking like, for parking. It's a bad question. <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's like, I think I know the answer to it. Like we kind of figured it out, but it's just it's just weird it's just that weird, we, we saw yeah. it like 10 times yeah. in the span of one minute. Just So there, there's not that much parking. And so we saw a right. lot of cars just like stopping, putting on their hazard lights and then just like. Just everywhere. We saw like 10 cars do this mm-hmm. in one block. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Is that, is that is just that? like a San Francisco thing? I think it's, it, I mean, really, it's a San Francisco thing. It, it could also just be Uber. It could be Ubers oh. just being like, oh. Oh, I'm just going to pull over and stop because Uber and like Lyft are very popular. That's a good, here. okay. We, that yeah. didn't occur to us. That didn't occur, yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I mean, also, uh, people in San Francisco kind of drive like assholes, so it's <laughs> pretty typical of yeah. the, oh, I'm too lazy and it's only going to take a second, so I'm just going <laughs> to yeah. put on my hazards. We saw so many, like, yeah. near the apartments, it kind of made sense, but then we went on that strip with, like, all the restaurants, and yeah. it was there, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, okay, well, if it's around the restaurants, then uh-huh. it's definitely assholes just being like, right. <laughs> I don't really feel like parking, yeah, so I'll just, like, I'll just run amazing. in for a sec. Yeah, yeah it was right. so weird. Yeah, no, especially here on this block. And then people cross the street and they refuse to stop. Like, you literally have to, like, creep your car into the walking, like, the crosswalk in order to get through the intersection. And people (laughs) still, like, cut in front of your carts. When when we finally found a spot, Kevin was, like, convinced that it wasn't a spot. He was like, it's too good to be true. (laughs) Yeah, like, like, because we, we, I was just like, this is, yeah, we're going to get in trouble. Somebody, like, lives here. (laughs) Somebody lives on this curb. Well, there's, like, a ton of, like, spot illusions. We're like, oh, there's a spot. Oh, that's that's Mm -hmm. not. Oh, there's a spot. No, no. That's very San Francisco. And usually, yes, that is the good instinct to have, Mm -hmm. is that, oh, oh, this spot's open. It's definitely cursed. There's something wrong. Like, you'll come back and, yeah. No, it's typical. Um, so John put the microphone on backwards. That's why we, if there's a weird break. It's because uh, of it's a, John a mistake put, that anyone can make. I think. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I don't think anyone can. Anyone make can make that mistake. I don't think I've ever made that mistake. <laughs> well, that's you're not just anyone. You know what? I'm just gonna take that beer away from you right now because it's affecting oh. your work. I'm kidding. No, yeah, it's uh, Sapporo is uh, it's pretty light. It's, and that's why I like it. Uh, yes, it's so so light and easy. Mm-hmm. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Uh, so Chelsea, tell us a little bit about, uh, I guess just what you do and what you're working on. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I'm Chelsea and I'm a filmmaker here in the Bay area. Um, I most often work as a producer and a director Okay. and, um, I guess I, I mean, my, my main source of income is I do a lot of corporate video work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of that is documentary styled. Sometimes it's commercial, 
But um, but I mean, you know, when it when it really boils down to it, like uh, I I love just telling stories and kind of let the projects find me in a way or just find some sort of inspiration. Um, And uh, right now I'm working on a feature length documentary called Bleeding Audio. It's a documentary um, that explores the digital age of the music industry through an all access look at the band The Matches and their history and their reunion. Mm, cool. Um, so, yeah, I've been doing that for three years and I'd love to talk <laughs> about other projects that I do, but this is really kind of the main thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. is, is this the first feature length documentary you've? Yeah, this yeah. is my first feature length anything. Uh-huh. I've done um, I've done many short form uh like documentary style things for corporations. I've done a couple short docs for bands, one of them being the matches. Right. <laughs> and um, and then a couple of narratives as well. Short narratives. Uh-huh. No features yet. This is my first feature. It's so really cool. it's, yeah. it's a big transition. Yeah. How does how does that compare to like the, the short term projects? Because like three years and just like this this huge thing. Yeah. Like what is what was that like? <laughs> patience. It's a lot of patience and a mm-hmm. lot of just determination. Um I know for a long time short short form projects were really enticing because I could iterate and I could just mm-hmm. do so many different things, mm-hmm. you know, one after the other. Right. Totally, yeah. They didn't have this long lifespan. And so actually doing a feature length has really tested my own um like dedication and drive and patience. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Um because uh I mean I know that this is a really good story. That's what I've been working on it for so long. Mm-hmm. But um there have definitely been like, you know, ebbs and flows of inspiration and dark times of just like, oh my gosh, this is taking forever. <laughs> Ever. Yeah. Um, even today, we actually recorded a video for my Kickstarter, and mm-hmm. in my in my script, I wrote, "Oh, I've been working on this for two years." And my producer looked at me and was like, "Girl, it's been three years." <laughs> oh, right. Like, oh my god. Yeah. Like, so much has changed in the last three years. Yeah. yeah. And it's just like, oh my goodness. And oh yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean, the biggest difference of comparison is just like overall, just keeping the interest. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, so yeah. how, like, how many different roles do you play in this feature film? Like, is it, are you physically behind the camera or do you have a camera guy or? All of the above. I uh, think yeah. with indie documentary, especially, um, I find that in, in speaking with like other directors as well is that it takes a lot of wearing just every single hat mm-hmm. um, because documentaries are different from narrative in that you sit down, you, you plan the narrative, you know, everything that happens or can happen and mm-hmm. you have total control with a documentary. Like you can sit down and plan as much as you want, but you're mm-hmm. just filming life and life yeah. is unpredictable. And, um, there are times where I've literally like, Oh, okay. I guess I'm filming with my iPhone. Okay. Right. Getting it out. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, and, yeah. um, and so it's like, I, I am capable with like an SLR camera. I am capable like uh-huh. to film things, but, um, at any you know given opportunity, I would hire a right. camera person or you know people who specialize in sure, that yeah. to, mm-hmm. to actually capture interviews and um, as much B roll as possible. But um, I mean, my primary role is director in this. Uh-huh. Um, I've actually actively tried to you know build a producing team or have producers mm-hmm. uh, be a part of my film so I can kind of divide that technical from creative mm-hmm. uh, responsibility in this. So even though I have line produced a lot of this right um i uh, you know my main role is director and then i will do whatever possible right <laughs> to is, make it happen is it tough being like when i was in college um uh, this is nothing like documentary making but like i would just like <laughs> film like all my friends and like make like a super cut of like each year <laughs> yeah. yeah that's what i would do but then often like you ruin the moment by filming it like is it tough being on that fly on the wall like as soon as the camera comes out is it like does everyone kind of change and 
I mean, you know, I would say that um, because um, I'm so close with these guys, the yeah. matches, and um, I'm kind of there anyway. Uh-huh. Um, the fact that I'm a filmmaker and I'm a friend, it's just sort of natural. Like mm-hmm. people don't tend to clam up when um, I pull out the camera. It took a couple of tries. Like there right. were some moments they in the turn early into days. Statues and it's like, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, these guys are like they're used to being in the public eye. Like it's been a long time, but like right. they did. The the promotional thing when they were in a band like uh-huh. they're kind of used to having that that constant watch yeah right. so um i think it was just uh it, it was almost like more comforting that it was coming from somebody uh-huh. who they knew oh, you cool. know so yeah. um so i would say it's honestly the most difficult part was just training me to like constantly be on the lookout for moments and right, be ready yeah. to film like there's almost like Every moment that I know I, I lost, like I still think about them. Yeah, in a way, I know. You it can know? be so Where, heartbreaking. We're like, oh, yeah. that's great, and it can't just be like roll it back. Like, right? I know. Yeah, it's like yeah. this isn't reality TV. I can't be like, um, excuse can, me, can, can we, we do that again? <laughs> yes. You know, it's like, it's it's heartbreaking when you lose those moments. But at mm-hmm. the same time, I mean, it's just um, it was more training me to keep keep the camera up instead right. of like. I mean, it was actually kind of hard too, just personally being really close to these guys uh-huh. and um, being in these moments where they were emotional for me to witness and me mm-hmm. wanting to be like, hey, I want to mm-hmm. like be a part of this moment because I am kind of, but right. I also need to, I'm the only one here to capture it. So I need uh-huh. to like be that person behind the camera. Um, and so, there, I mean, it was definitely uh, the first few shows were a learning, sure, <laughs> a learning yeah. curve, uh-huh. but it was... Uh, it was just kind of natural after that. Yeah. So, um, so today we, uh, I'm going to like reference this uh-huh. quote from somebody we had on our show like forever because I really liked it. But okay. he, uh, <laughs> we were just talking about um, like how, why he chose uh, music as his form of expression. And he, mm. he said he thinks that like everyone in like a sense is kind of destined to have like their own form of expression just based on who they are and how they communicate. And so uh, I, I'm wondering like, what drew you to documentaries as like a primary format for like expression and how do you see like your own storytelling um, come into play when you're like telling somebody else's story, if that makes sense? Yeah. Um, so I would say like in general, filmmaking has always been my my primary form of expression because I'm very visual, mm-hmm. but also because um, I find like the subtle aspects of uh, the the visual aspect of storytelling really interesting. You know, like mm-hmm. keeping people equal in the frame, or like yeah. making something bigger than the other things, keeping things blurry or in focus, and just using those aspects to kind of tell a deeper story. Mm-hmm. I, I find that really compelling and um, and almost like a way of tricking people to. Um, not, not necessarily tricking, that sounds kind of evil, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, like, right. you know, putting, putting more into a story than, sure. than you realize you're, you're witnessing. Yeah. And so documentary film is honestly not what I intended on getting into, <laughs> okay. uh-huh. but I mean, honestly, the story kind of just found me and it felt natural. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the whole thing started where, I mean, when the guys started telling me that they're like, yeah, I think we're going to do a reunion show. And I was like, Oh my God, it's going to be amazing. Let me help you. Uh I'll, you know, put together some marketing videos for you. And it was really, it was doing these like, okay, I'm just going to like do some, where are they now videos Yeah, and just, you know, we'll just like recap. (laughs) Right. And I was interviewing them and just sitting there and just being like, Oh my God, you guys have an amazing story. This is blown into this amazing thing. And I just kind of want to give your story a voice, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it was, it was this, thing where this band um, meant something to me so deeply and now um 
like witnessing that it reached so many other people, Mm -hmm. I was like, there's something here. There's something about hope and the music community and this, and the industry and how bands were destroyed by it, but are able to like somehow survive in it. Yeah. That is important to my core and my being that I felt like needed to have a platform and a voice. And so that's why uh, I wanted to make this film is, I mean, this band that means so much to me, I felt could use the storytelling, but also like, I think just people who love music and want to understand a little bit more about it. Um, you know, it'll give them something to maybe feel connected to as well. So, right. Yeah. Absolutely. But overall, the the purpose of this documentary is certainly not to get melodramatic, sure, even sure. though there is, I mean, there's some emotional stuff that takes place in it. Right. Um, but uh, overall, I mean, I don't know about you guys, and I'm not trying to get political here, but I think right. we could all use stories of hope and yeah, happiness, oh, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, whenever I bring up the music industry, while, while things have changed so much and it's, you know, kind of dismal i think um at least if the matches reunion is any indication there's a lot of opportunity and i think if anything i i hope that this story can be like a a platform for people to learn you know and i guess i haven't haven't said it on mic yet but like i'm a huge fan of the matches and i can like (laughs) attest to that feeling of like for me they were like the first band because like when i was younger like in middle school i didn't like get the concept of like a local band or like a cult band versus like a huge band. And so to me, the matches were huge and I, I learned that they were like a lot smaller than I thought, or like yeah. that they were just a lot more like in the Bay area, they were like these legends. And it was cool to see. Um, it encouraged me to be able to like do this DIY kind of stuff. Like it inspired me. Like I have a, a venue in my basement right now and it's, it's, that's awesome. I think it's like bands <laughs> like the matches that really like made me feel like I could do that kind of stuff. So I don't know, like that, that's like my moment of gushing. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> no, like... and it's, it's honestly, I mean, that's so I'm not local to the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. Like I'm from Colorado. Like yeah. this band, this baby band, the matches, you know, opened up for one of my favorite bands at the time was Motion City Soundtrack. <laughs> right. And um, they opened up and just completely blew me away. And then Mm -hmm. when I actually listened to their music, like they connected with me on a deep level, you know? And, um, and it was really like their DIY nature, but also just like their, I guess they're just honesty and kind of purity in their lyrics that, I mean, I don't know if purity is the right word, but (laughs) it's really just like, um, like I've told this story a couple of times, but not really publicly is that like, um, the match is kind of like, taught me who I was as a feminist, which sounds really mm-hmm. weird to have like a pack of four white dudes, like yeah. Yeah. tell you who you are as a feminist, but totally. like a pack of them. Yeah. A pack. Yeah. Um, That's how they I, travel. Yeah. yeah. In packs. Yeah. Um, but no, like I grew up in a super conservative town mm-hmm. and sure. I grew up with a lot of sisters, a lot of sisters who loved MTV. They're all fine, wonderful right. people, <laughs> but they loved MTV, they love MTV and they loved their magazines. Yeah. And I was just sitting here just being like, Hey, like these women are I mean this is awful like Mm -hmm. this Uh is this is just disgusting like the objectification of women right now is like it honestly like would bring me to tears sometimes and I was like I just felt like I was screaming alone like no even the women even my friends in this conservative Mm -hmm. town were not listening to me I was like how am I the only one that finds this heinous yeah right and then you know, saw the matches open up for Motion City. I was like, okay, I gotta check this band out. They're like really cool. Right. <laughs> and then like I listened to Sick Little Suicide and I heard the line about um like exercise and malnutrition, keep curves tight, because all that matters is what's outside. Mm-hmm. Um, so it says every magazine cover uh that gallantly assaults 
our own women and children, but it's not my fault. It's never my fault. Yeah. And like that, like, (laughs) it like took my breath away. I was sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just sitting there going, Oh my God, like how is it that I am screaming to tons of women in my life? Mm -hmm. And the only people who are speaking what I'm feeling are these like dudes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And so then, you know, and then like I heard shoot me in the smile and I was like, Oh, it's a whole song about everything I'm feeling. You know, like my sister at the time was trying to be a model and she's paper thin and like they're telling her to lose 10 pounds and it was just like totally speaking to me you know and like yeah and so here it is like this band like just is actually saying something instead of like these other bands that Mm -hmm. i'm listening to and same with motion city and other bands like similar to that yeah actually had lyrics and things that were saying something instead of like Mm -hmm. baba baba girls baba (laughs) right yeah music you know like (laughs) you know what i mean yeah no totally definitely i just feel like that's why the matches resonated and we're able to you know last you know in 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 the hearts of people not necessarily financially as a band (laughs) but they were able to like have that um longevity that i feel like a lot of bands from that era didn't yeah they they definitely just like have i think the lyrics just have this way of, of totally connecting i think that's why like they might not have had as many fans as like I mean, and I mean that's like underselling it. They have a lot of fans, but like yeah. I think compared to like you know some bigger bands, I guess. But like the the matches fans are dedicated. Like I remember yeah. coming back for the reunion show because I I flew down to see it. <laughs> that's and so awesome. It was just like it was packed, and then the yeah. fact that you had to like rush to the, like to get the tickets and like I don't know. It was yeah. how, how old are you when you got into them? Um, yeah. yeah, sixth grade, I think. Oh, sixth grade. Um, okay. My, my, sixth grade. my yeah. friend, uh-huh. I remember, I was on AOL Instant Messenger. My friend Greg <laughs> was sending me a bunch of music. He That's sent so me, great. He sent me Scratched Out. That was actually my first uh, oh, song. Oh, cool. That's a cool <laughs> intro. Yeah, and I loved it. I, and it took me, I think it took me a little while to actually get the full album. And I was like, this is amazing. And then... Uh, Decomposer was like I remember my, oh. my first listen I was like this is so like I was too young to like I was in seventh grade I think seventh or eighth grade mm-hmm. when that came out and I was like this is so weird I don't know if I like it and then I got into that and that like opened the door to all these other bands yeah. and other albums and yeah um, Decomposer is some avant garde shit yeah man. like that is that is like I remember my first listen being like. I don't know if I know what I listen to, but it's fucking the most amazing thing I've ever heard. And then, like, I kept <laughs> listening to it and being like, like, just the intricacies of it and just yeah. being like, oh, but, um, but yeah, before I forget this point, I have to know what your AOL name was. Oh, I have <laughs> it to changed. Know. It changed so often. My first one, I think, was Bob the Monkey 33. Oh, that's so good. Monkey was spelled with a U. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so yeah, good. Was, Did you was, have an AOL name? I didn't. Oh. No. What was I yours? Wish. Okay, this is like the most <laughs> emo ridiculous shit ever. Yeah. Are you ready? Okay, it was. <clears throat> so you have to know. <laughs> the um, preface, I love it. I know. You have to know. I was super into hats. Okay. Okay. Um, and that's uh, not like a band name, but it's like, no, like, just, like hats, just hats, right? okay. like in general. Like that was like just, just like, a general interest. Just in a general. Psych. I hats. had like yeah. berets and you know and right. like hat, all just the hats. Super into hats. Right. Um, and uh, and at the time, like I was into Coheed and to like I was just like had just heard their second record. Yeah, I don't know. And I honestly, I can't. I don't want to say anything ill about Coheed, but mm. it just didn't hold up for me. Was but it, yeah. um, was it? Wait. Um, <laughs> is it was it Coheed and Cambry hats? Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah, thought, no, it okay. was. I thought that this was so cool. I thought is Ambelina's fedora. 
<laughs> Why is Ambelina wearing a fedora? Like, did I think I was cool and being like this fairy creature or whatever she is? I don't even know what her, her character was, but apparently Ambelina was a Coheed and Cambria character. Okay. And I just thought, oh, well, apparently she sounds really cool, so she'd be wearing a fedora. Right. So that's fedora of all the hats, too. Right. So that's like 14 year old me or 15 year old yeah. me being like, yeah. That's pretty cool. I know a thing or two about hats. Yeah, I know a thing or two about hats. And if you're really cool, you'll get my Coheed reference. So, because it's like the most, no one knows who Amblina is. Right, yeah, like, I guess we're like, not cool. I mean. Right? It's like the most subtle character. God, it's so lame. Anyway. Uh, so when it comes to filming the documentary, when it comes to filming, am I wrong in thinking that Filming talking heads are like really tedious. Is like a really tedious oh, thing. Oh, you're not wrong. Okay, that's yeah. very correct. I think people like they think like the office and Parks and Rec, and it's like oh, talking heads. It's like this fun one-off thing, but it's really it's like a really tedious. It it art. can be. I mean, so most of our interviews we plan them ahead of time, and uh-huh. those you know we we sit down, we set up a two camera thing, and um, I try and make whatever room we have available to us look very nice, and my right. DPs uh-huh. are very good at that too. Uh-huh. Um, you'll see in the film, you'll see a lot of, uh, cause we interview a lot of producers. You'll, mm-hmm. So you'll see a lot of soundboards. Sure. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, uh, but really, I mean, I, I try and not make them tedious. I try and make them fun and conversational kind right. of like a podcast uh-huh. because sometimes people get a little uncomfortable in camera. Yeah. Right. Um, the guys interviews were long sure. <laughs> because you know, the first interview was let's you know, talk about your history as a musician, which mm-hmm. for these guys spans 30 years. Right. And then, um, you know, the second interview is just kind of about like now, the future, life, mm-hmm. the reunion. And so um, and so, you know, each each interview is pretty long. And so right. we yeah. kind of do like breaks and, and stuff. But um, but it, it's tedious in that, you know, we're trying to collect a lot of stuff and a lot of storytelling. Right, yeah. And we're trying to really, we have so much material, but we're really trying to flesh out um, a story that really does capture not just the matches history, but really does detail this music industry thing. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. And sometimes getting into the fine-tuned details of the industry it's it can get tedious. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. There's <laughs> right. a lot of stuff going on. Uh-huh. <laughs> totally. Well, what, what were some of the like other people you interviewed to explore that side of the music industry? Yeah. Um. Oh, geez. <sighs> okay. So some of my favorite interviews were with producers because okay. I feel like producers they um so producers for musicians for people who don't know are technically like, they're kind of almost like the directors of like a, yeah. a record like the uh-huh. band comes in as like the writers and then the producers mm-hmm. kind of help them develop sure um and sometimes they engineer and mix it but anyway um but I feel like they have like a really interesting perspective of the industry because they're usually the ones who deal with budgets right and they are the right. ones who yeah. understand like the um amount that gets invested in mm-hmm. in musicians. Um, and so one of my favorite interviews is with Eric Valentine. He um, so he's kind of a legendary producer in that. I mean, he invented the drum, the drumbrella. OK, <laughs> um, but he also um, his claim to fame is he started uh, his first two records that he produced came out in the end of 1996 and it was third eye blind and smash mouth. Oh, whoa. Those were his first two records. That's awesome. (laughs) And, um, and then from there, I mean, you look at his credentials and you just kind of want to weep. Um, cause, but he was just the coolest dude and he Mm -hmm. wanted to sign the matches. Right. Um, Cool. And uh, when the matches had their first record come out, there was kind of, you know, a bidding war Mm -hmm, of uh people trying to license it and get these guys on their label. And Eric was one of those people. And Uh so he was able to speak a little bit to 
you know, why he was after the matches, but also he has traversed the industry from the nineties to today Mm -hmm. and he's still producing, but he wouldn't be able to be producing now if it wasn't for being able to be successful in the late nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So his perspective on how music has changed as a result to cut budgets because people aren't buying records anymore. Right. Was just, I mean, it was incredible. Like Mm -hmm. he, he really had like an honest and just informed idea of like, kind of what the future of music is going to be, you know? Uh, yeah. People don't really invest in bands anymore to yeah. develop them like they used to, at least not creatively. Right. And so bands kind of have to do it on their own. Yeah. yeah. And then from there, I mean, like, I mean, do they sign to a label? Why bother? But at sure, the same yeah. time, like, if you want to get the reach of, you know, your... Everybody. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. if you want that reach, you do have to sign to a label. Yeah. Oh, and then you get, like, uh, like one of the people we recorded today uh, mm-hmm. was talking about, like, they, they, he just ended up starting his own label with a bunch of friends. And yeah. it's just, like, it's like a net label, I guess, is, is what they're, it's called. And so they're... It's really not, like, they don't have a lot of money. It's just a bunch of friends, like, okay, well, we have gear. We have know-how. Like, let's make sure you get a record and let's get you some exposure. And, like, that's kind of where... A lot of the music industry is gone, I think, yeah. is, is just self-release. I feel like labels are pretty much just marketing departments. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they do production. They, you know, make the records. They make the CDs. They help with that. But, um, you know, sometimes they'll front the bill for recording records. But mm-hmm. otherwise, I mean, yeah. I mean, and um, so so Eric Valentine's one of those. Um, Chris Sheldon was someone who we interviewed in London. He mixed the matches to new songs that they released. Oh, cool, yeah. Um, but, you know, he also, like engineered uh, records like you know Foo Fighters Color and Shape you know stuff like that (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs) (laughs) Um, and he he also had another amazing perspective like Mm -hmm. his uh, studio is like this little hut that he built in the backyard of his house and he like that's he doesn't even see bands anymore they just send him stuff and he just mixes them in his little hut because (laughs) that's what it is now right you want to get a song mastered like the only reason why you would do it in like a fancy studio is because you're on a major label and mm-hmm. you have your Katy Perry. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. Like a billion dollars. yeah. Like it's there. <laughs> it sounds like you interviewed a lot of cool people. I'm like, I mean, it's going to be so hard that just to know, not I, like, Hey, let's like make a 20 hour film. And I, like, know. Yeah, I know. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's why I need an editor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just like having the, I don't know. Kill, what's the term? Kill your babies. Like, I know. Yeah. yeah. Letting go of like those amazing moments, even though for the, for the, I mean, how long is the, do you think you're shooting for, for the, uh, I'd like to do between 80 and 90 minutes, which uh, is pretty typical of a documentary. So mm-hmm. like an hour and a half or less. Yeah. Um, hopefully not much, uh, not much longer than an hour and a half because no documentary needs to be that long. <laughs> right. Yeah. How much raw um, footage is there? <laughs> forever well, amount do you yeah. want me to be honest 10 years yeah i know i've got like i mean i've got like 16 terabytes alone and oh my granted God. Oh my i know and granted a lot of that just because i know a lot of other people gasped right now it's like i heard it from the future um but uh but really it's like so two of my camera guys um who i work with regularly they actually own their own red cameras which mm-hmm. um not only are they super talented dudes, but they've been very kind to just, you know, come and shoot with their cameras that they own. And, um, I mean, we shot a lot of like, you know, 4k slow-mo really <laughs> large files yeah. of show footage of just B roll. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, and like, you know, when you shoot your interviews in 4k and the only reason why we did that too, is so that we could like punch in, you know, you get a frame that's like this big and then 
instead of cutting between two cameras, which we did shoot with a B camera too, because of course we did. And, right. <laughs> um, and so now, and then you can like punch in now instead of, instead okay. of just oh, cutting cool. between yeah. the two cameras. Cause yeah. like with 4k, I mean, it's so big, right, like yeah. you can still punch into like a close up, and it's still 1080p. Right. You know? yeah. So, yeah. That's really cool. That um, cool. So that's kind of our strategy with this. Mm-hmm. And because we have so many interviews, <laughs> right. Um, it just sort of has amassed into this gigantic, ridiculous, <laughs> um, amalgamation of footage there's just so much footage you guys right (laughs) um we've been asking people on this trip like at what point of this process do you feel the most stress Hmm. or is it and i guess i guess it's it's, yet to come yeah i guess it's not over yet (laughs) yeah like always yeah (laughs) i i would say this is that um again with narrative film you have like a set budget you have a set schedule you Mm. have a plan because you have a script that begins and ends and Mm -hmm. um with a documentary, again, it's like so amorphous is that right. I, you know, I went in with a treatment. I went in with like an interviewee list. I went in with all these things, but so many like superfluous interviews have popped up or like things have changed. Like mm-hmm. I know the biggest thing that threw me off track, um, but I'm so glad it did is that the guys decided to record two new songs, mm-hmm. Yeah, which was something that if you look in my original treatment and like documentary I was like oh you know like things that could happen and like I wrote down oh band could write new songs and in parentheses I said ha ha yeah right <laughs> you know like yeah. and lo and behold they did and uh-huh. um I you know they did it from their different corners of the states right, and that's so I cool. like filmed it you know and that was so cool to actually sit and watch the matches like write music yeah but they did it you know disparate <laughs> but it was still just like yeah, that was a thing. I couldn't sit down and be like, uh, oh, no, nah, I don't need it. Sure, you know? yeah. Um, and that delayed me several months and then, uh-huh. you know, and uh-huh. yeah, I mean, and well, the other thing too, too, is just like, um, it's just like money and it sounds like such like a stupid yeah, thing and I me. hate <laughs> complaining about it, but I'm not going that. to complain about it, <laughs> but it's just like, um, you know, I, I really want to get this thing pieced together and in oh. order to do it, I really do need like to pay an editor to sit down and like mm-hmm. focus on it. And right. the way I've described this in the past is like, I've had people come in and like opt to edit it Mm -hmm. but you know they do it kind of in their spare time which is amazing that they're willing to do that but also like when you get booked for a job you can't really say no and then it's kind of like you know if you're reading a book and you set it down for a week and then you pick it back up and you're like oh wait where where was i Right. Kind of like uh-huh. go yeah. back oh, yeah. a couple totally. pages, yeah. and you're like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's kind of what it's like with editing a documentary too. Mm-hmm. Is like just sitting down and having focused, dedicated time. And as much as you know, I myself would also like to sit down and do it. I'm way too close to this story. Yeah. Like if yeah. there's anything I've been able to recognize, just like sitting down and going through footage myself uh, in the past few weeks, it's that. I, to me, every moment is a golden moment. Like I love this movie. I love this film and there's no way I can make it a 90 minute piece. Like for me, I would just be like, you know what? Here's a 10 hour movie about the matches. Right. Yeah. We'll sit down, turn into episodes and it'll be great. Director's cut. Right. Yeah. But if I can get like a collaborator who's either on the outside or someone who can help me hone it down, Mm -hmm. like I need that focus time. Yeah. So a big delay in, in my process that has been so stressful is that, uh, is just like trying to like do the fundraising to get an editor. Right. Yeah. And so that's why, you know, that's why we are launching a Kickstarter. That's why we are doing that is cause it's like, uh, we, we kind of like, we're thinking about going down the grant route and we probably still will apply to some grants. Um, but it's really hard for music documentaries to get, mm-hmm. to get grant money because right. we're not really social justice story. Yeah. Um, and so even though our film does have like an artist advocacy angle, um, 
it's really hard for musicians to make money these days. Mm-hmm, right. And if they don't have people who are really working to help support them, then um, it can really hurt their futures. And so this film will largely look into um, and look into that and yeah. also just mm-hmm. like give maybe people who don't understand publishing or, um, right. you know, getting your songs registered sync uh-huh. and like how that all works. Then hopefully this film will give them an insight to it and give them a way to protect themselves from anything. Cool. So cool. I think yeah. it's a good stopping point. Uh, yeah. I've, got, I've got one question <laughs> okay. actually. Okay, cool. Um, Cause <laughs> like, uh, I can just rant forever. So, <laughs> uh, cause you're, so you're, you're launching, um, your Kickstarter campaign. Um, and then you've, you've had like one Kickstarter campaign, right? Yeah. And so, uh, how long ago was the original Kickstarter launch? So we launched the uh, production Kickstarter in October of 2014. Okay. And so that Kickstarter was aimed directly at production costs. Gotcha. Okay. And so, yeah, we, um, and so, yeah, we were, <laughs> Sagan says hello. Um, and so we were able to raise, you know, around 38000 mm-hmm. for production costs, which is, you know a meager budget for a three year <laughs> sure. production. Yeah. Right. But um but it was great and it was amazing that everybody just like rallied and supported us yeah. and I mean it completely made everything happen. Mm-hmm. And so right. that's why we want to go back to Kickstarter gotcha. is that um you know, we just we were able to build such a wonderful community. Matches fans are literally the most wonderful humans on the planet. Yeah. Just saying. Right. I mean, yeah. not exaggerating <laughs> at all, literally. Like they are so wonderful. And um and it just like it made sense for us to like really reach out to people mm-hmm. about it instead of keeping it so insular to the f- like film community. Yeah. Um I think like I don't know, I just I love the platform that Kickstarter has created mm. for people to really like actually reach their networks and yeah. like reach fans directly, you know? Did, so did that create any other sort of pressures like to have the fans kind of like fund this project? Yes. <laughs> I think about them every day. Like every yeah. time we're on a production, I sit there and I think, Oh my God, these wonderful people have made this possible. Yeah. And it's been almost three years since our production was <laughs> right, funded, yeah. you know, and it's so, yeah, I never thought about that. Yeah. it's like so hard. And, you know, I, I, I try and keep them as updated as I can. You know, sometimes I'm like, Oh, I should just update them to update them. Even though it's like, well, nothing's changed. <laughs> right, you know, yeah. it's like still working yeah, on it. I never it. thought about like with added support comes added pressure. Like yeah. almost always. No, that's the biggest pressure is that, <laughs> I mean, everyone's been so cool and so supportive and I haven't had any like, Hey, um, what the fuck yeah can <laughs> i take know? it back now I mean, yeah <laughs> like everyone's been so cool and supportive and i've tried to be as like completely open about it as possible yeah um but uh but yeah it's like it's definitely like every time like a new thing happens i like update my kickstarter backers as <laughs> uh-huh, soon as i'm sure, allowed yeah. to because there right. was there was some paperwork and things that i had to finalize before i updated them on this last thing with my new producer but mm, it was sure. still just like i immediately like go to them as i'm like mm-hmm. You guys, <laughs> like this happened, and it's all because of you. Right. Like all three hundred and fifty-four of you. Right. Like That's thank really you. Cool. you yeah. know? And if it's any consolation, I was a backer, and so uh-huh. like, those little updates are like, yeah, no, it's. I, I there's never been a point where I've been like, why, why, why isn't it coming? Like it's always, it's like I'm just excited that this thing's getting made. Thank you so right. much. So honestly, yeah. you saying that is just like a huge, like it already like takes like a weight off my shoulder because I like I seriously, I, I remember there was like some chatter on some like. I don't know, some message board or something. Uh And Justin has always said to me, uh, my husband, Justin, he's always like, 
don't ever read the comments. <laughs> right, don't, yeah. Don't read the comments. But I'm like, I just, can't help yeah. it. I just want to know they're what people right say. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's and really like dumb. someone said something like, uh, said something like, oh God, like, has it, has it, has it even like, have they even released anything yet? And this was like two months after the Kickstarter was over. Yeah. And I remember like reading the comments and being like, Hey, and like, I got all huffy about it. I was like, I'm going to respond to this comment. And he was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Right. And I was like, I just, and so instead I like responded with like posting an update, just being like, Hey, yeah, we're right. good. Just so you know, cause the guy, he, the guy like didn't even back it. He was like, he like asked somebody else and the guy was like, Oh yeah. Like she updated us a while ago. And this guy was like, Oh, well, whatever. And I'm, you know, it was just like yeah. so stupid, right. but I remember seeing it and like, I will never forget it. And I'm like, and I like, I don't know. I'm not even going to say his name or anything, but he's like somebody that like the, the network knows too. Yeah. And they're like, the guy's just an asshole. Don't worry about what's it. His, what's, you know? his, what's his AOL name? We can, you can, we can, I, feel like, I feel like this podcast is actually, we're like, we're like on the verge of like, bursting through like our first dam at least I think when it comes to like getting some sort of recognition yeah but like I also mm-hmm. feel like that means we're like we're like on the verge of like getting like our first haters too <laughs> like oh, yeah. people like commenting like this Honestly, podcast has really gone downhill yeah. like, <laughs> haters are where you get legit that's what I've learned right it's like yeah. as soon as you get haters yeah. you know that you're like the real yeah. deal the people totally. care yeah they're, they're yeah. invested mm-hmm. alright yeah. so for any haters out there leave a comment leave a comment <laughs> so we can feel validated yeah. yeah be like yeah this truly sucks yeah <laughs> And um, and the friend looked at him and was like, "Yeah, the guy who lives here is the bassist." (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, it was just it was just hilarious because we're like, yeah, we come off as like, oh shit, like there's just matches shit everywhere. (laughs) That's so funny. But it's better than the walls being blank. Uh, So you already talked about how you're from. You're born in Colorado. Yeah. Well, no, I I grew up there. That's fine. That's enough. (laughs) What was it like growing up there? Um, I mean, mm-hmm. you mentioned it was conservative. And <laughs> yeah, right. it's really conservative. Uh-huh. And um, where in Colorado specifically? Um, so it's called Loveland, okay. Colorado. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's funny because Valentine's Day at the time of this recording is coming up. And um, I was just talking to my, my my family and I was like, oh, yeah, Valentine's Day was the thing in Loveland. Really? Oh, right. yeah. Because sure, it's yeah. called Loveland. Right. I mean, Wait, it's, what, what came first? Their like their admiration of Valentine's Day or I like have no idea. <laughs> it's just a bunch of I mean, it's so white and so conservative and so ridiculous there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's like, um, yeah, like hearts everywhere and like, they, they, they have, oh yeah, they have like a special, like, like mailed from Loveland, Colorado stamp and like over a million, like Valentine's get shipped through Loveland to get the special stamp to like, it's, it's insane. Okay. Maybe it's not a million, maybe it's like 500,000, but that's still a shitload of Valentine's. That's a lot. Um, (laughs) And a lot of people are like, it's Loveland. Like that's probably how they see it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it was Colorado is like the most beautiful state. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say as much as I love being by the ocean now, Uh um, I'm more of a mountain hiking type girl sure mm-hmm. and um i mean i grew up on a ranch so i actually um 
like trained and raised horses with my family. Oh, really? That's really um, cool. Do you have any horse mm-hmm. facts? <laughs> we we raised paint horses, and there are okay. two classifications of paint horses. There's Overos and Tobianos, Ooh. and we specifically tried raising for Tobianos. Okay. But my horse Sierra is an Overo, mm. and I much preferred that type of coloring. So there's your horse fact. Cool. I think you um, thank you. <laughs> horse fact and horse opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but Colorado was different. It was just a conservative sure. town. I would you know Fort Collins is a college town, which is just north. There's uh-huh. a lot of really good beer in Colorado. However, when I was growing up there, I did not enjoy said beer because I was not of age to enjoy said sure, beer. Sure, yeah. <laughs> of course. Um, but uh, but overall, like I would say, beautiful place to grow up. I have great family. Yeah, what um, was, uh, you said you grew up with a lot of sisters. How many sisters? So, <laughs> I have four stepsisters. Oh, okay. I have one full sister, and I have two half-sisters. Whoa. Okay. Mm-hmm. My half-sisters are very young. Mm-hmm. Um, they are uh, 11 and 6, so oh, they're wow. very young. Um, and then, like, all my other sisters are all grown up and, right. and you know, how would you say that, that, like, complicated, big and complicated family dynamic, like, basically affects, like, your creative outlet and just who you are now? Mm, I would say, honestly, and um, I don't mean to sound like an asshole, but I was kind of the black sheep of the family. I mean, I'm mm-hmm, not, like, uh-huh. some crazy outcast, but I'm literally the only liberal. Um, <laughs> gotcha. and, uh, <clears throat> and I would say that, like, I have, like, crazy supportive parents. Like, when I said, I want to be a filmmaker, they didn't go... Um, what they went, yeah, great. Go for it. Uh You know? Um, but I would say that like, yeah, I just, I I would say that I just kind of always did my own thing, you know? And it was kind of this thing where, um, it almost fueled me more when my sisters were like, that's weird. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's great. Right. (laughs) Yeah. It was like more of a backlash. Thank you for the fuel. Yeah. Where it was like, I I still remember actually, this is a funny story, but I still remember I got my license first out of kind of like the younger half of the sisters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd drive around and I'd be like, my car, my music, you know, and you know, they're like listening to whatever's on MTV or whatever. Uh And I remember putting in motion city and I'm like, no, I think you guys will like this. Yeah. And you know, it's like, I'm on fire. No, I think I'm ready. You know, like, like totally rocking out. And, um, I remember later I kind of heard them humming it and I remember being like, (laughs) not so weird after all. And that was kind of my whole thing of being like, you guys think I'm weird, but I'm just right. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) Uh, and then like high school days, did you feel like the black sheep and like, uh, high school era as well because if is yeah i kind of found like my my little weirdo art niche but uh, um uh uh, a lot of my friends were super religious because we were all you know Mm -hmm. straight edge yeah like right we didn't like drink or do drugs and um a lot of kids in my high school probably drank but the only like kids i could find who didn't want to drink were like the christian evangelist kids right so it almost made me a black sheep with my own friend group because i'm not that uh-huh. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. I was I was raised specifically both my parents were very like anti-religion right um they raised me to be like you know what like we hate this institution but if you want to do it feel free to research it on your own but mm. we think you should do it as an adult not yeah. as a child yeah and um and so the fact that I kind of rejected that and had friends who basically told me several times that I was like going to go to hell Sure, Um, was like, are you my friends? Right. Yeah. yeah. So it was kind of like an interesting thing where, um, 
I felt like, oh, I found like my group of weirdo music friends, but also, oh, they all think I'm going to hell. Yeah. Right. yeah. You know? Yeah, that is yeah, an interesting dynamic. I mean, like, yeah. and then is that where like the need to express yourself through certain forms started to grow? I mean, at what point in your life did that come about? Yeah. Like I felt like, um, I felt like I, I, I expressed myself a lot through photography, but right. I think I was just like super angry about where I was, yeah. you know, as a teenager is like, that's why I found music as like this outlet, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why I really connected with music. And so for a while I was like, oh, do I want to make music? And then it just became, no, it's like, I just love like capturing music. So I right. started actually doing a lot of band photography for local bands and, uh-huh. um, you know, for some bands that came through, I mean, that was like one of my first big things. It was like Motion City let me take photos of them. Oh, it was cool, like right. so cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I was like 16. And I was like, uh-huh. I'm going to shoot it on film because I'm like pretentious. Um, and, uh, but it was still just like, it was so cool. And it was just like, that to me was like always my ticket out is I was like, I can't express myself here because no one, I can't, I can't like communicate, you know? Right. And so for me, it was almost like I couldn't use my environment to create because I couldn't relate, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was really coming to San Francisco and being like, oh, I'm not a freak. Like I'm a freak in my own way and Uh I can embrace it. But it was like, there's other people like me. Yeah. It was just like, oh my God. Yeah. It was, it was like, like a, such a relief. A field of black sheeps. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it was like, it wasn't this weird thing where it was like, oh, I guess I'm not unique anymore. Mm-hmm. It was just like, oh my God, like just finding a tribe and yeah. finding like a level of communication with people that like, uh, just was, it was just honestly, it was that huge side that I just made is that that <laughs> right. was it, you know, it was like, okay, like I can create in this environment because I can like communicate with people and like. I don't know. It just it just gave me such a peace of mind. It was almost like I wasn't even while I was like yearning to create and grow as mm-hmm. an artist. It was more like I needed to like be myself first. Right. Yeah. You know? And it's hard to find inspiration somewhere where like you just don't connect with anything. Like you, yeah. you just yeah. like, it's, like it's really discouraging. Yeah. Like. Yeah. Yeah. And like and that's the thing too is like Loveland, Colorado. While it's beautiful. <laughs> it's so it's actually what's funny is that it's like the sculpture capital of the United States. Like there are more sculptures on display publicly in parks in Loveland than anywhere. (laughs) Interesting. And so it's like, it's weird because it supports the fine arts in that sense, Mm -hmm. but like no music venues. It's basically a retirement community masked as like a town. Mm -hmm. And like, so when it comes to like, physical like expression or like like film you know like music or film it's just that doesn't exist there you have to go to denver you have to go to fort collins you have to go to boulder and so it was like really hard to um find a network of people who had that understanding of of that type of art Mm -hmm. to learn from you know right Yeah. yeah so it really took leaving to to even to even get started <laughs> totally yeah uh you talked a little bit about um like how the matches uh related to like feminism um yeah, yeah talk more about like uh, any other things that like were part of that enlightenment other than other than the band yeah i mean i think what it was too was um just like it took a while before i actually even used the word feminist like that's how mm-hmm. conservative a town i was raised in mm-hmm. was like it almost felt like that was um and this sounds so horrible to say but i mean i guess like that's kind of how people from the middle of the country might be raised is that it was like feminists were man-hating lesbians and mm-hmm. i was like right, that's yeah. horrible and not true but like ever since i was a kid i've always just kind of like felt 
weird about representation of women in anything, you know? Um, Like, I remember, like, watching Beauty and the Beast and being like, this movie's really pretty, but um, isn't this kind of representative of an abusive relationship? <laughs> right, yeah. It's like, that, that movie goes under so much criticism now. Like, yeah, like, um, yeah. isn't this, like, not okay, you know? Or, like, just, just being like, like, why wasn't it a girl, you know? Uh-huh. Just yeah. all of these constantly ever right, since, yeah. since I was a kid. And so I think, like, um, what I really... And also growing up with just so many sisters who, um, who are, again, amazing, hardworking women in their own right, just, you know, kind of followed um the norm or like prescribed to the fact that you know of just like objectifying women and like you know like like i said i had a sister who tried being a model and like that's Mm -hmm. kind of what she puts her value in is just in what in her physical appearance which Mm -hmm. is like such a bummer Uh and um and so you know coming to san francisco i think it took a while for me to kind of learn my own like kind of empowerment as a woman and um and also just like to really find a way to express it. But also um, it's when I started realizing just the disparities, you know, right. and especially when I started working in the film industry, I was like, Oh, right. Oh, hello. Like, <laughs> yeah, a wow. Lot, a lot of rocks being unturned. It's yeah. Like, oh, whoa. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Talk a little bit about that. Like what was, yeah. what was some of that, I guess, revelation? Yeah. I mean, when I started working as a producer, I mean, there were times where I had producing peers who were men who, you know, may have been older than me, but they were still producing. And, um, you know, they would say something about like, oh, no, 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 you can't do that. That that needs to be done this way. And hmm. they're like, oh, yeah, that guy like knows what he's talking about. And I remember I was told they're like, you're being snippy. Oh, my God. And I'm like, excuse me. And they're like, yeah, you're being kind of snippy. And I'm like, no, I'm just trying to do my job and tell you not to do that because mm-hmm. I don't think it's the right way for it to be done, you know? And yeah. it's. You know, there's so many times we're on set, like I'm the producer, I'm the boss. And yes, like I look young, <laughs> right? but like I, you know, I am a woman who is in charge of the situation. Don't call me sweetheart. Yeah. Right, yeah. Don't call me sweetheart. Uh-huh. You know, like I will send you off my set if you call me sweetheart, right. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Age is a big thing too. It's yeah. Not, yeah. It's yeah, ages, the, ageism. Is that ageism. Right? Yeah. yeah. And that's the other thing is that like, I understand. I mean, like I was young at one point, like I, I moved up pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but even still, like I look, I look young, but it's like, I have, I've been doing this for a long time (laughs) and, um, I have a lot to learn there's a lot more growth that I have. I feel like, I mean, you can never stop growing and learning, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but it's still just like, dude, like if this is my set, don't. Yeah, you don't really right. question yeah. that. Yeah. No. <laughs> um, yeah, in, in the comedy scene in Bellingham, there's this sort of like, there's two stand-up comedy, uh, actually, it's it's becoming one now, mm-hmm. but uh, there's like the uh, comics, the school, the school, the school, com- the student comics, and then the non-student comics, mm. and so anytime like the non- a student comic like comes into the non-student comic scene, it's like, oh, here comes this college shithead, like, there's all, <laughs> that's always, that's always like yeah. the attitude, and well, I'm then, like, and, and then of course it is like worse skewed towards like female comics too, like, right, sure. yeah, where, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, just like with the whole like feminine and age thing, it's just sort of like, that's always just like this, like, yeah. oh, here they come, and it's like, well, like, let's, let's, let's scare this person out, like, mm-hmm. even though. Sometimes they are college shithead, but like, yeah. that's not, like you got to listen to the set yeah. first. That's yeah. the thing. Right. You can't just come in. I mean, if you come in with the, um, if you come in with the filter of, oh, this person is a college shithead, right. chances are they're going to yeah, sound like a college shithead. Yeah, it's yeah. a self-fulfilling but if prophecy. You, yeah, yeah. If you like sit there and go like, okay, well, let's see how they do, right, you know, uh-huh. then, mm-hmm. then make up your mind. And exactly. that's kind of what ends up happening a lot of the times too, just as a woman on set is you show up and it's like, you're either 
you're either a bitch or you're a girl. Yeah. Right, you know, yeah. and it's like it's that That's funny really thing well where it's like, hey, like, no, a I'm a I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. And like, yes, like you can call me a girl, but it feels like you're undercutting my power right, by yeah. calling me a girl and not a woman. And then like and B, it's it's also like, you know, <laughs> bitch equates to like professional male sometimes yeah. like, you, or like, just you like just like being like, assertive right. or something it's right. like I, I i know what i want so i'm gonna tell you what i want yeah exactly and oh. is that is that being like that can be construed as being like bitchy right. and, and it's un it's unbelievable because sometimes you're just like i like being friendly i like having fun yeah i don't think you should ever take anything too seriously because then right. what's what's the point yeah really? why are you doing that you know like sometimes <laughs> yes like i have to check myself i take things way too seriously sometimes and i'm like okay whoa like it's okay it's gonna be okay you know <laughs> right, like yeah. it's gonna be fine yeah but it's also like hey we're here to enjoy ourselves and mm-hmm. like we didn't pick a profession of filmmaking so just sit here and be like Right, <laughs> like, yeah. It needs to be perfect mm-hmm. over time. Like, I mean, we need to have fun with it, right. you know. And so, uh, I don't know. I can just ramble yeah. about this, but <laughs> I mean, bitch equates to professional male. Like, let's just yeah. end the podcast. Like, yeah, it's just right? that was so well put. Like, like it's so. Uh, I never thought about that. I, I heard this thing recently. Not to bring Doctor Who into the second act, no. but uh, <laughs> bring um, it, uh, Steven, uh So, like, every time there's like the the new doctor gets cast, mm-hmm. there's always people who are like, there should be like, what about a female doctor, right? And then Stephen Moffat said in an interview recently, like anytime like that becomes like a question, he says it's always the female fans that have the biggest backlash against that. What? That was yeah. Which, that, he's like he's like it's that, always like female fans that are like, like bullshit. Yeah, it is. I'm like I I don't know like it's you, I mean yeah. I. Okay, Stephen Moffat has done fine with Doctor Who, but he doesn't—he doesn't write really great women, so yeah. it wouldn't um, surprise me if he didn't understand or actually listen to sure, all yeah. the women yeah. who I speak out what I heard. against mm-hmm. him. He, he probably just like says, like sees what he wants to hear, and he's That's like, "That's very true." Yeah. He, he's like, "Well, like, look, women say it. It's like probably two women, and right, literally yeah. all the others are like, we want a female doctor." <laughs> but also, I mean, I don't know. Like, it is kind of nice having these dashing men uh-huh. play the doctor they're yeah. they're fun to watch mm-hmm. you know it's that's that's fun i mean who doesn't want to watch tenet so this is the 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 big question the I big guess. question uh so do you struggle with depression and or anxiety and if so how has that affected your creative process yeah and um so in terms of depression like i've never been diagnosed with like clinical depression yeah. but um i would say like 2016 for me was kind of a rough year mm-hmm. um so at the beginning of 2016, um, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer mm-hmm. and um, she's going to be fine. But um, basically, like I go to Sundance every year. I always come out with like connections and inspiration and it's really exciting. Mm-hmm. And so like I came out of Sundance 2016 and I was like, OK, cool. Like I'm going to finish my movie. And like a week later, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. Oh, no. And um, and <laughs> I mean, it was not a question. Like, obviously, I was going to help her in any way yeah. I could. Yeah, I yeah. have the glorious flexibility of freelance, which gives me the opportunity to, like, make my own schedule and mm-hmm. take the time. But um, but it put my film completely on the back burner, right. which was which was hard for me. But it was also like, again, not a question. Yeah, like, right, right. <laughs> family first, dude. Uh-huh. So, Absolutely. Um, but what I, um, 
I mean, again, like I can't, uh, depression is a serious thing that people deal with, but like I did have like a huge slump and it took a while for it to actually happen. was just like dealing with like the grief of it. And like, mm-hmm, right. I seriously dealt with this worse than my mom did. My mom is like the coolest, <laughs> strongest, most badass lady ever. Cause like I talked to her like every, every couple days and I'm like, so how are you feeling? She's like, great. Uh-huh. She's like, I have an infusion on Wednesday. It's, yeah, I feel great. And I'm like, you bitch, you're amazing. But like, I mean, the first few months were really hard. Like we, uh, so the matches went on tour and I went with them last mm-hmm. year and it was like right after my mom had to start chemo. Cause we didn't think she would have to do chemo until like after they examined what they got in her mastectomy. And it was just this whole thing. And, um, but we had already booked the tour mm-hmm. and like, you know, I wanted to help him out, Justin out um, on tour because, um, you know, it's like they were doing these weekend flyaways and I was like pulled in two directions. And it was just like, uh, I got to I got to do this. And then as soon as I'm done with the tour, I'm going to go be with my mom. And um, and it like, honestly, I did not realize how I handled grief because basically like the time I was taking care of her, like when she had her mastectomy and like through the through the chemo, it wasn't until like you know, it was like probably after four, like three months after her diagnosis. And then it was like two weeks after I got back from taking care of her the last time where suddenly I was just like, <gasps> like everything <laughs> happened yeah, emotionally yeah. at once where it was like, Oh my God. Like I, this is the thing I dealt with this year. And mm-hmm. it just like it, it like creatively, like I was spent. I couldn't, I couldn't right, produce yeah. or do anything. Yeah. I was just like in this complete, like, creative coma where I was like, like just, I couldn't, I couldn't do anything. Like I, I was a complete, like just, I'd walk Sagan and it was honestly like the best therapy for me. Cause I was just walking my dog in the park and it was beautiful right, yeah. and that was helpful, but it was just like, I wasn't talking to people. I get, I like, I'm a, such an idiot, but I just like already like my husband and I are very isolating. Like we, we do our work. We kind of like, we work too much. <laughs> For sure. But like we also just end up like kind of being like, oh, what do you want to do? I guess we'll just hang out like sure, together because yeah. we're married. And like, <laughs> um, but like I specifically like recoiled and didn't like reach out to anybody. Like yeah. I was just like, I'm just going to hang out with my dog, I guess. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that be- that made it worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I've, I've turned around and I'm feeling like much better. But it took like a whole year of just like. Like just going through just this. Just going yeah. through this. Yeah. Just like this, this deep grief and like just, you know, trying to work through it in a way. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even this mental thing of like sitting and thinking about it. It was just like this physical weight yeah. of, uh, of emotion that mm-hmm. I wasn't intentionally trying to feel, you know, mm-hmm. it just like sort of hit me later. I was like, yep, I like took care of my mom's mastectomy tubes, you <laughs> right, know, like, yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you yeah. know, is that um, like state of reclusion? Like, God, like, like a battle within you. Cause I remember like with me, when I'm feeling very reclusive, sometimes I'm like, all right, it's Wednesday and John, you're going to, you're going to text people and you're going to go out. <laughs> and then, like, yeah. and then, 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 then all of a sudden that's Thursday. And like, I didn't see right? anybody. Like, it's just like this constant battle of like two Johns, like within me. Yeah. And it, it pretty much the reclusive John usually wins. <laughs> like it was, was it, did, did you deal with that sort of duality or is it just pretty much all? I mean, I would say that's Chelsea? me like now regularly, sure. you know, <laughs> like, I mean, and that was definitely it is. Uh, well, that was the thing is me regularly is like, okay, cool. I'm like going to go out and socialize. And mm-hmm. then like, it comes around and I'm like, uh, 
them. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, know. exactly. Because yeah. um, I actually used to deal with a lot of social anxiety when uh-huh. I was in high school. Um, mm-hmm. Just because I, you know, again, like I was in this weird situation where like, you know, I was the black sheep of my family. And right, then like yeah. I had friends who said I was going to hell. Like, mm-hmm. um, so it was kind of like, oh, you know, I don't I like didn't connect with people very well. And it wasn't until college that I started getting over it. But like I, I do. I, I Basically, it's like. There were times where, like, I'll completely just freak out and not know what to say and just kind of be like, okay, I'm just going to, like, sit over here for a little bit, you know? And it's like I've gotten so much better at it, like, becoming a filmmaker and, like, forcing myself to, you know, socialize and interact. And, Mm -hmm, and, like, college totally helped with that. But, I mean, like... I used to be a total social butterfly in college and, and, and like I, it transitioned from being like, you know, super socially anxiety, you know, <laughs> social anxiety and then college being like social butterfly. Mm-hmm, and then right. like out of college being like, okay, I like kind of want to keep to myself again. Yeah. Um, and then all my friends moved to LA cause they're filmmakers and I should have <laughs> moved to LA, but I'm going to hold off on that for now. Sure. But right. it's just like, you know, now there aren't many people left here and I just don't know how to be an adult and like, make friends as an adult <laughs> yeah like con- controlled environments aren't yeah. as um common post college i would say yeah like, like yeah. where you can't just like I, I used to just like walk across the hallway to my friends in the uh-huh. dorm and be like I, right. I need to talk and like be social exactly yeah. yeah here are these yeah. like four friends in yeah, like this so, so tiny room yeah. and we can just talk as opposed to like i don't even know like what social events are now. Like. Yeah. Well, and like, I, I've always been like really community minded. Like mm-hmm. I love bringing people together. That's why I love mm-hmm. being a filmmaker is it's like, it's like forcing yourself to work as a team. Yeah. And so like, I remember in college I, I used to host these things called film kid Fridays and <laughs> it was like, literally like, it was just like, Hey, let's all meet up at this bar mm-hmm. uh-huh. and we're all going to drink and just talk about what we're working on. Right. And it was fun. Like we actually got like, I mean, we did it successfully for like two or three months. Like right, it was yeah. great. You know, it was so much fun. Uh, you know, just that, like that, that fear where you're just like, Oh, like I just get really hot in my face. And then like, you know, you're like, Oh my God. I'm just going to like sweat down my back. Like, you know, like there are still times where I get that anxious and it's just like, I no control over whether Mm -hmm. I feel that way. Cause there are times where I'm just like, Hey, let's hang out and I'll talk about (laughs) anything. I'm an open book. And then it's like, I just, you know, like there are times where it gets crippling and there are times where Mm -hmm. it's like not, and I have, I have no way of, understanding or controlling it but like i overcome it sometimes but most of the time it's like i have to force myself out to like meet yeah. people I mean, and, like, like, <laughs> and you have to you have to be like i found that um like because i just turned 25 and so like i'm just i'm just now coming out of like that college age where like there's all these events where i'm seeing people and so yeah. i've realized like i have to be so intentional especially when i'm depressed yeah. and like i i had like a similar sort of like physical depression i guess uh not too long ago where i would just like wake up and it's like all right like get myself out of bed and I would like text people and like make these plans and I'd like force myself to have these scheduled plans and then it would like come right up to it and I'd just like get this panic attack and like say like sorry I can't come out and like yeah. you really have to force yourself like especially when you're going through a de- like a, depress- a depression or something like you've really got to be intentional about it and that's I think that's just hard yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. hard as an adult I mean again for me I'm just really picky about the environment it's either, yeah. it's either like the right people in the wrong environment like all your good friends but you're at this like shitty bar and like, <laughs> totally. like, like a bar with like the music like too uh, 
too loud. Too loud. Yeah. Like you can't guide the conversation, uh, or it's like the wrong people in like or the right place. Like I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm just super picky. I mean, I I'd say I'm definitely more more like that. Where uh-huh. like if I make plans, I usually follow through with them. Yeah. But like, uh-huh. but at the same time, like I'm so picky, and like, and I think that plays into just like kind of what I dealt with growing up with right, just like. Yeah. You know, like I, you know, I have trust issues with friends. Like I, I like am an open book to a degree, but like right. when it really comes down to like deep personal stuff or like just mm-hmm. people who I want to sit down and like hang out with right, genuinely, yeah. I'm so picky. And it's like, sometimes I can be a total asshole about it, but it's <laughs> right, also yeah. like, I feel like I'm like, you know what? I've been burned so many times. I'm like, I just don't even want to like go near that fire. You know right, what I mean? Yeah. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I, <laughs> you know, and then like, and then that just turns me into an asshole. Where I'm sure. like, yeah, I'm just an asshole. I'm like, I won't even <laughs> open up to this rank. So I'm like, yeah, but that person like did this thing. And they're like, Chelsea, seriously, it's like not that big of a deal. And I'm like, I know, but right. it's just going to like grade on me. And they're like, no, just stop being a dick. Like, <laughs> well, do you, do you ever have this you know? thing? Because I've, I, I have a similar sort of thing where I'll pretty much tell anybody anything. And like, as soon, like, as soon as we did, would get together with like our D&D buddies, yeah. um, I would just like start talking and like venting about everything. Yeah. And then yeah. it, almost, it almost becomes a wall sometimes where it's like, I'll, with total strangers I'll just like open up about like the deepest most personal thing and it's like not it's almost a way to avoid connection because it's like if yeah. I just get this out there verbally like I don't actually have to open oh, up right. yeah. it's know. almost like you don't have to listen because yeah. you're like we'll just talk about my thing yeah yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just kind of where it's like I'm gonna drop this bomb on you and we'll talk about this and that'll feel great and, yeah. then, and then we'll move on what was exactly. your thing sorry it's already 10 like we have to go exactly <laughs> you know yeah. yeah and like and when you're in a depression you, you create well I crave like uh just like a deep connection. And so like, sometimes I'm like, Oh, well, let's go out with people. But generally that doesn't involve a deep connection. It right. just involves small talk. And you're like, uh, like yeah. you just like imagine, I just like fantasize about a world with no small talk and only deep connections. <laughs> right? But like generally it's like 90, 10, it's usually like 90% small talk. Yeah. And yeah. That's why, you know, hence the reclusion, you know? Yeah. And that's kind of the thing is like, I feel, I mean, not to get too gross, but I feel so <laughs> lucky to have found like, a partner that like we're totally on the same page. Yeah. We, right. Like, I mean, he can be even a little more reclusive than me, but like, um, I like to get out and socialize and you know, he'll, he'll get out and socialize too, but it's like, we really like, we have each other and mm. like, and that's been honestly like, thank God for that last year. Like I, I do not, I think I would have been in a very unhealthy place if I didn't have like that support system yeah. or that like person. Right. Um, but, um, cause, cause the other thing too, is that like when you're kind of reclusive, when you're like me and you literally like work comes before relationships pretty mm-hmm. much always, like that's how I've been and it's not a healthy place to be in. Like people stop calling you, people stop reaching out to you. You know, and that's mm-hmm. just kind of like it It sucks and it hurts. But at the same time, it's like, oh, shit, like I picked work over my friends. How many times? Like right. pretty much yeah, every yeah. pretty much every time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it's kind of not fair. Uh-huh. Um, and so it's kind of like, you know, when it, it's in those moments. And that was kind of like my revelation at the end of the year where I was like, I got to like make more friends, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like more friends that I can like actually sit and vibe with and hang out with and feel comfortable with. Cause that's the thing is that it's like, I mean, again, like we're picky, like I'm right. picky. Um, and like, you know, in, in that state where I'm like, Oh my God, I'm really going through a thing here. And like, you know, like, people aren't reaching out because they're like, oh, she's just busy with her film. And it's like, I'm not, right. but I'm not going to reach out because like, I'm afraid to talk about it because yeah. like, 
I don't want to make it out loud like because then it makes it more real. <laughs> right, you know? yeah. And I was just like, uh, how do you how do you like and then then thank God for thank God for him. But I mean, it's still just like like I, I mean, it's it's so hard. And I think like there uh, it's almost like you almost want to make a huge change in your life because mm-hmm. you feel like that will incite the um I don't know, like the natural ability to like want to go out and make friends. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like, I always use these excuses like, Oh, I've got like great friends all over the country, which I do. I mean, a lot of my best friends I make through Sundance or, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of my best friends are in LA that like I'd hang out with all the time, but you know, they're like not here. So (laughs) I guess I can't hang out. And it's like, no, you could actually try and make (laughs) new friends, but you're just too picky and sometimes too judgy that you just don't. So it's like, yeah, I mean, I, I get it. It's like, it's hard to overcome. And I think that's just probably another reason why I bury myself in work is because I'm like, I get this. Right. Just wanted, I'm curious as, like, as I want to pick your brain like as a filmmaker like yep. what what films like make your top five and what were some films that were really influential as a kid wow top five okay I mean, you don't have to like g- <laughs> give me like an objective well, top which five category, or anything, like, like cinematography <laughs> editing so I mean so here's the thing is like I I find that like the films that emotionally I like deeply connect with and love uh-huh. are tend to be indie films I mean sure, like yeah. they they really do like explore the human condition in a way that a lot of major motion pictures uh-huh. don't um, however I'm like a huge Star Wars fan I think the Marvel oh. Cinematic Universe yeah. is amazing yeah, and my, I my mean I, yeah oh tr- trust me I saw your <laughs> Avengers hat yeah I got you dude no I I I love that stuff because uh-huh. I've always been like hugely into sci-fi and right. like I mean my feel like um my dad really gave me like my cinema education right, right. and mm-hmm. so like he he was like I'm gonna show you these sci-fi films mm-hmm. you know you can like them you can't you know like he didn't raise me to be like well you're a girl so we're gonna watch romantic comedies right. you know he was like so we're gonna watch <laughs> we're Terminator <watching> <laughs> we're gonna watch Terminator 2 and then after that we're gonna watch Aliens because you're a right. little too young for Alien you know uh-huh. right. and then yeah. like you know and then so I got all these like really cool like you know like badass ladies yeah. like um, another aliens coming out isn't it alien maybe probably that's like alien resurrection <laughs> or something i don't know uh, i'm not sure why you think it should just be done like i think yeah. it should it should have been done a while ago right but um but aliens is seriously one of my favorite uh, movies because ripley is the coolest right. yeah. um and then you know like total recall is another one of my favorites mm-hmm. total cheese fest but like oh, just so classic good. No. such a classic um so i do love like those big movies but really i mean after i finished my documentary i really wanted to do a narrative feature film mm-hmm. and i'd love for it to be like a thoughtful sci-fi yeah like oh, cool. um like a couple of my favorite movies recently that have come out are like arrival yeah Holy yeah so good like like that movie would not leave my brain yeah, for like totally. weeks. And that to me is like, I'm like, that's the movie I want to make is something mm-hmm. like that. Because I feel like it, that's what's amazing about genre films too. Mm-hmm. is like between sci-fi horror, whatever is that right. um, they really explore complicated 
human emotions through like these really quirky, fun, cool, scientific or timey, wimey concepts, right. you yeah. know? And so like Arrival, which, you know, without giving anything away, just really explored this, like the basic human emotion of like, if you knew how your life was going to play out, would you still let it happen that way? Yeah. Uh-huh. Which uh-huh. is, I mean, which is really like the point yeah. of, of just like, life is like hey it's temporary it's something that you have to appreciate every day like is it worth appreciating it to lose something yeah you know and that's like the basic core of that film yeah but they explore it in the craziest most insane way and also like the just like the socio like linguistic idea of like how to communicate with an alien race (laughs) is so cool cool. and Um, what'd you think of uh 10 cloverfield lane because that was that was another great one so basic she's i don't know that's like one of the coolest like female protagonist I've ever seen. Yeah. Like just cause I felt like she could be vulnerable and also just completely badass and like just Oh yeah. Such yeah. A, such I, a good I thought it was character. just, just oh, all so well survival. casted just all mm-hmm. around. Yeah. yeah. Oh totally. Yeah. Well and that's the thing is like here's 10 Cloverfield Lane. Like this is literally a movie about like survival and capture. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. It's right. about being it's like it's like not even about Stockholm syndrome. It's just uh-huh. about like being captured by somebody who you don't know right you know yeah. like and what do you do like uh-huh. and the know? ups and downs of that like she, yeah. she trusts him and then she doesn't know if she should trust him and right. then she doesn't trust him exactly it's like, i just love how it's in the, it's a confined space and yeah. like spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen Tank yeah, spoiler. Field yeah. spoiler. uh but <laughs> i was watching it and i'm like okay this is gonna end one of two ways either she's gonna get out and he was like wrong the whole time he's just right. a crazy dude or i'm like oh my bet it's gonna be like something that like alludes it's gonna be like a open to interpretation kind of yeah. ending that was my prediction mm-hmm. and at the end it's just like boom there's aliens it's like, and it it's was like, like he was right the whole time and it's <laughs> yeah. like i love that like the crazy guy was right because that never happens right that was my and favorite like, part that's of the like movie. my favorite thing is when she's like oh come on yes, you know uh-huh. like you're like yeah yeah like uh-huh. everyone in the audience is like yeah uh-huh. us too and us just too. like it's just like <laughs> she just kicks ass at the end like yeah. she like wins and she gets away and then it's not like she just escapes it's like she's she She makes this intentional choice to go and fight and it's so cool yeah and do you think she would have if she hadn't been in that situation already Mm, you know like that's like the cool thing too and like um but yeah the other movie that i was going to bring up was i just like rewatched it and i'm like oh this movie's a masterpiece uh (laughs) was ex machina did you guys see that oh yeah Huh. Okay, you <laughs> have to see Alicia, X Machina. Um, Alicia Vikander's McKander, in it. Yes. Yeah, she. I mean, she plays the AI. Uh huh. Yeah. But um. Uh, and the main guy. And then is... um. Yeah, you got Star Wars characters. So you got Domhnall yeah. Gleeson and yeah. um. Mm, what's his real name? Um. What? Uh, he's the pilot in the new oh, in Star oh. Wars Episode Seven. Oh, um, oh. Poe Dameron? That, yeah, it's uh, Poe Dameron, but like what's... Oscar Isaac. Yes, yeah. Oscar Isaac. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, it's three characters, the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, That's it. Favorite and kind the, of movie. The, exactly. Yeah. It's like, those are the ones where you really get like the dynamic. And oh my God, you guys have to see this movie. <laughs> yeah. okay. um, it's on Amazon Prime, so you can stream it on Amazon Prime. Totally. Um, <laughs> plug. Plug. Yeah. yeah. Like, bing. Hope you guys get a sponsorship. Uh-huh. Um, but, uh, but seriously, this movie, it's just, it's about humanity right or about like consciousness like what denotes consciousness and how do you either provoke consciousness which is an interesting thought Mm -hmm. um and like you know what i just like what is what is life and what is truth you know what i mean and it's just oh god oh it's so good but you should see that one too but that's what like those are the (laughs) movies that really speak to me are the ones that kind of take that sort of 
blockbustery sci-fi uh-huh. concept, uh-huh. but also like have the human thing and like right, yeah. Arrival and Ex Machina are just the first two that come to mind because uh-huh. that's, I mean. Having a film that's almost done, you immediately have to be like, okay, I have to be ready for the next one. Uh And so I've been sitting thinking and soul searching a lot about that. And that's like why specifically I'm thinking of these movies is because I'm like, oh, these are the movies I want to make or like these kind of like soft sci-fis basically. Like the other one I think of is like Safety Not Guaranteed. Yeah, that one. Did you guys see that one? Yeah, yeah. And I guess another, it has a similar like reveal at the end of it yeah. to 10 Cloverfield Lane spoiler where you're alert. just like where you're just like what yeah, you like, know the, you think the guy's like crazy the whole time or you're just not sure and then oh he was right yeah. right <laughs> it's, it's a right. great film uh-huh. spoilers sorry, sorry that's alright yeah, it'll still make you just have a lot of fun because uh-huh. it's really I mean it's another thing where it's just like the whole film is just in the real world and you're just like oh this guy's talking about time travel that's cool right yeah, yeah. and then it ends on a dime and you're just like wait uh-huh. what <laughs> okay you know and, and, and Aubrey pauses, pauses like that's right that's right yeah she She's the best. Uh, So who's your doctor? (laughs) Mm, Oh, oh, it's Tennant. Tennant, yeah. Obviously. Is Tennant your doctor too? Uh, No. No. Are you Matt Smith? Also, I want to say... Kevin's got uh, a a former Doctor Who. I have to say this. I'm a reformed Whovian. Reformed? (laughs) I... Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. Oh, no. I, I know. But I do. So, so how do we define, because I've heard it's like the first doctor you watch is your is your doctor. Mm. I've heard some people define mm. it that way. Is no. it just, are you just wondering who my favorite doctor is? Yeah. Because yeah. Matt Smith is my favorite doctor. Oh, really? Mm. I think, I think, but I think this, I think that David Tennant uh, encapsulates like what I consider to be the quintessential doctor. Like he is the doctor yeah. in my mind. It's mm-hmm. pretty fantastic. But Matt Smith is like, I just like, I like, I like his performance better. I, I think really? he likes, I think, I think Tennant is just in general is a better actor. Oh yeah, I guess I, I didn't mean that. By I, yeah, I just meant I like the I like the quirkiness of Matt Smith. I mean, a Matt bit. Smith has a physicality that mm-hmm, um, right. I mean, he basically he literally like acts like an old dude in a young dude's body. Like the yeah. way he moves yes. and yeah, everything is you're like, oh, like if you didn't look like a 25 year old, because you're a fucking 25 year old in that first <laughs> uh-huh. episode, um, then like, you know, he he would literally, you could like put old makeup on him and you're like, oh yeah, you're like uh-huh. a thousand years old because that's yeah. the, what the yeah, doctor's like, supposed to be. Yeah, he takes like little mannerisms from like the other previous doctors too, which mm-hmm. I think is really cool. But yeah. I think, even though I think Tenet's my favorite doctor, I think the show, like season five and six, are my favorite seasons still. Mm, I think those are, those are my yeah. favorites. Yeah. I would say collectively those seasons are probably the best because yeah. like, you know, in having a Doctor Who podcast and watching episode <laughs> right. by episode, <laughs> you find out that like, like the Tenant episodes, like, some of them are just the best episodes of all time, right. but uh-huh. like Some the seasons are, as yeah. a whole yeah, are a like, little uh, wonky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, like, Eccleston is probably one of the best. Eccleston like, is really, re- really good. Yeah. Like, like if, in revisiting that first uh-huh. season, I was like, holy shit, this whole yeah. season is actually really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like, I, I agree. I minus the farting aliens. Sure. Yeah. Obviously. <laughs> I mean like the effects, like there's so many things that like he deserved and he didn't get like, yeah, but he deserved also he so didn't, much more. He didn't want it. Like, yeah. So that was the other side of it is because you're like, like such oh, a shame man, like you could totally do one more season and be really yeah. rad. And he's like, I'm too serious for this. And <laughs> you're like, OK, I fine. think like the biggest bummer ever was that he didn't come back for the 50th. Like, I know oh, yeah, such was, a bummer. Yeah, yeah. But it, I mean, we all knew he wasn't gonna. Yeah, like, just, he just, just he just really wanted to like put it behind him or something. Right. I don't I think because I think there was like a a he said yes initially i'm pretty sure mm-hmm. and um and this is like just totally my theory but i felt like they wrote this script where it's eccleston Tennant, and smith 
mm. right? And then he backed out, and then they like put the war doctor like in his place, and it's sort of like I feel like it's the script that like meant to have him in it, yeah. But instead, they like cr- created this other character. I actually think that's legitimately what happened, yeah. But um, but I'm pretty sure they never had Eccleston signed on at all. Yeah, like oh, really? I'm pretty, sure, I'm sure, yeah. pretty positive yeah. that he never once said yes. That they sure. just wrote it, and they were probably like, okay, we wrote it. Uh-huh. Here it is. We're gonna give it to him, and then um. Yeah, and then he was he just like, no. "Seriously, guys?" He's like, "No, oh, man, this is such know? a bummer." Like, I know. so good. Um, but like, pour one out for one's homies, John Hurt. Right. You yeah. Know, may he rest in peace. Our right. war doctor. Yeah. He passed away recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but you haven't even seen Capaldi, have you? I watched like one episode. I, I the reason I I stopped watching that show is because I think Stephen Moffat is overstayed his welcome, and like I hated season seven. I like couldn't even. Season yeah, seven oh. wasn't good. Yeah, season, season seven, seven was, was good. not good. Stephen. Yeah. Season eight, also not very good. Yeah. yeah. There, are, there are a couple standout episodes, but season eight in general, no. Mm-hmm. But season, season nine, nine. Okay. What? Yeah. Season, season nine, nine was like, so good. Yeah. You get through season eight because it's like, oh, it's a new doctor, right? Yeah. And so that's kind of like the novelty of it. Mm-hmm. But yeah. like as a whole, it's like just okay. And then series nine kills it. Oh my series God. Nine and, is like, and Clara was also disappointed. That was the thing is like, I, I didn't like the writing and I also wasn't crazy about Clara. I like, and, and it wasn't even yeah. her fault. I felt like they just didn't do anything with her. But no, they get better. Okay. Because that was the thing. I 100% <laughs> on your team in that in that sense, like season seven, I was like, oh, I don't know where this is going. Yeah, okay. I don't it was just, super love what they're doing with Clara. It's and just like, too many transitionaries. Like, yeah. The show is just changing. It's season yeah. nine. Okay. Yeah. I, God, the, the heist we, episode like, in series nine is so good. Uh, yes. Uh. Well, like, well, wait, the heist episode? Mm, actually, I didn't super love really? that one as oh, much. God. I just but, thought, I, was, but, but, I love everything but, but, heist, I think. But <laughs> I, I loved that season as uh-huh. a whole. Like, I remember sitting down, we, because we did that episode by episode, uh-huh. like, live or whatever, like, as it was airing. Oh, cool. And I remember every episode we're like, so is it just me or is this season very good? <laughs> like yeah. It was just that like, cause we feel like, cause the thing with being, I feel like the number one trait of a Whovian and I say mm-hmm. this in my podcast all the time. The number one trait of a Whovian is being forgiving. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's so you true. have to be that's forgiving. So <laughs> and cause there are cheesy things that happen and yeah. you're like, um, that's fine. Right. And when really good things happen, you're like, oh, this is why I watched the show. I just, I just right. feel like every yeah. episode started to become a deus ex machina where like yeah. they would just write themselves into a corner and be like, all right, well, how do we get out of this? Sonic uh, screwdriver. Obviously. Sonic screwdriver or right. love. Like uh-huh. love will be the solution. Right. And they're just like, I don't buy it. I don't know. Yeah. The, uh, right. No, I, I completely understand. <laughs> Season nine doesn't. I mean, they basically get rid of the sonic screwdriver. Like he, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. like that's yep. that's a big yeah. thing that they uh-huh. do. Well, I, I loved um, Capaldi as like a casting choice. Like I, I was excited he's about that. Great, like it's so, yeah, he's, he's so good. He, I honestly am like kind of bummed that he's only getting one more season. I don't yeah. know if you saw that they announced mm-hmm. that they are going to do another Doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I mean, I guess we did kind of talk about it briefly. But like, I'm I'm like kind of bummed they're not taking him further because I think. I think he has so much more to give and yeah. he's like such a fan of the show too. Yeah. That like yeah. it's kind of cool having him there, but, um, there was I, a, there was a backlash against him originally cause he's so drastically different from Smith. Yeah. And but Smith, that's good. Why would yeah. you want some? Well, that's the thing is like different. Smith is like, well, they went from like recreation attempt. Like he's, he's Smith and Tenor are, they went from the, young doctor to young doctor is basically exactly. what it was. Yeah. And yeah. so, and then they were like, well, let's do like a super old guy. And uh-huh. then like all the, you know, 
younger people <laughs> yeah. who were fans of the show because they're like, well, uh, Smith see. is pretty. Exactly. You know? yeah. and now they're like, well, hey. And I'm like, well, Peter Capaldi is like a dashing Scottish guy. Uh-huh. Like, he's mm-hmm. fine, but. He's just a really good actor. He's like, he's, he's like. so good. He's like, I, I describe yeah. him as, he's like the Sherlock doctor almost. Like, he's just like, not yeah. as like, I don't know. He's just cooler. I don't know. <laughs> he, I, I think he's so great. Like, yeah. honestly, I. I like him better than Matt Smith, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's kind of apples and oranges. Yeah. Apples and oranges. Yeah, uh, I, I, I want to bring this up because this was also another reason I, I stopped liking the show was Matt Smith's send off was abysmal. It was it terrible. Was, yeah, it was, uh, was really the terrible. time of the Doctor was. Oh yeah. my gosh, I hated it. Yeah. It's like the worst episode of the I show. Still I remember think. sitting there being like, "Is this really the episode?" Like he just yeah. is like aging and the whole thing, and I was like, yeah, oh, I, didn't I like don't it. know uh, about was, this." Like it was the town called Christmas that's what it yeah. was yeah. yeah he just deserves so much better because I, I feel like he gave so much to the show and he did such a good job in that role and yeah. the, the reason he's my doctor is because I love like Tennant was this really emotional doctor and you yeah. could really connect to him as like feeling that, like this really grounded character and then Matt Smith to me felt like you, he's like this 900 year old guy who's like gone he's gone through all this heartbreak and all this yeah. like this change and growth and he just has to deal with the weight of like everything he's seen and so he the way he de- deals with it is he has this facade of like being a child or like being yeah. immature or whatever yeah, yeah. but like it's just a facade like he's he's it's his coping mechanism and I love that because it, it, coming off of Tenant like losing everything and losing all these relationships we go into Matt Smith and I was just like he's so good and then yeah. he deserves so much better yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think so like better. ironically no. like Ironically, like timing, like of the, like got the best of them because uh, I think yeah. like Smith's contract ended like the same time the fiftieth was happening, and then oh, like yeah. Karen Gillan's contract like ended like partway through the season, and that's weird. Like the mm. whole season is just like this weird mess of transitions. Uh, yeah, but there's like this episode in series nine uh, where it's just Capaldi. Uh, oh yeah, the, it's like the second oh to last my God, episode. Yes, the one that was directed by Rachel Talele, and um, sorry, and, he, and he's stuck in the. He's, well, I don't stu- know what he's it's stuck called. in the. He's stuck inside the. I mean, sundial the sundial, the, yeah. the watch, the um, Time Lord watch. Yeah, and um, oh it's just God. an amazing piece oh, of. It's just a. God, it's just a great piece of television. Yes, uh, like it's even so, outside of Doctor Who, like, it's so it's so good, good, and it's so well constructed. And like when you kind of realize the weird loop that he's in, you're just yeah. like. Holy shit, the determination and just like also the cleverness of the doctor and everything right, that like yeah. is built into it. You're just like, oh God, this is why I watch I this show. Is that it's like <laughs> so good. it's like timey wimey. It's uh-huh. also like it's you know, it's it's got its own like set of philosophies right, about yeah. like it's you know, about trippy. like life it's just and Capaldi determination. Like, yeah. yeah. But yeah, it's basically that episode was directed by Rachel Talele. Uh-huh. She uh she did, you know, movies like Tank Girl. Um, she, okay. she's directed a few episodes of Sherlock and, okay. um, yeah, it's like you guys yeah. might, might be a little young for a tank girl, but, um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, and then she, um, she's, uh, directed some episodes of Doctor Who and she directed that yeah. one and she's fucking awesome director yeah. and I hope she does more yeah, but you should so look good. into her she's so cool and like they keep having her back and it makes me really happy cause they don't often have... <laughs> Women direct. Sure. Do, do you think? Now, well, now I feel like I have to catch up on Doctor Who. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, yeah. you do. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. Just skip season eight. Yeah. Just can I skip? You, you or do I need the character? Honestly, you can no. skip it. Yeah. You can totally you can skip, skip it because it, yeah. honestly, I feel like the writers were like, ah. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, sure, and then yeah. and not then, much arc happens in no. the character. Like yeah, honestly, uh-huh. you could skip it and okay. just like I feel like season nine is fine. Like there might be a couple episodes in season eight that were a lot of fun. Like, oh, Missy. 
There is. Yeah, there's well, Missy. Missy's in season nine too. Yeah, for yeah. a second. Yeah. Oh, it was, God, that was the worst finale ever, though. Not the worst finale ever, but like uh, series eight. Yeah, yeah see, series eight. Like, what was Danny his Pink. name? Danny, Danny Pink. Oh, yeah, Danny that, Pink. That was written really Why? poorly. It was yeah. so bad. <laughs> yeah. oh, season eight was yeah. not good. You can skip season eight. Yeah, yeah this just is what's skip so funny it. about Doctor Who's the yeah. show is like everybody has those moments of like, oh god. Like, I love what you said about like you have to be forgiving. Like, that's literally the only way that you can be a Whovian because like. I mean, and it shows like the true love of the show is that yeah. like, I mean, here we are. We're like, oh, God, worst season ever. But season nine, like most people <laughs> will be like, oh, this is terrible. I'm not watching this anymore. Uh-huh. But, you know, it comes back around. It usually right. comes back around. I mean, they've been doing this for 50 years. Right, yeah. <laughs> so it's got to like right. yeah. something. What, what do you think of uh, Torchwood? Because I actually I, th- mm. I think I decided I like Torchwood better than Doctor Who. I've never seen it. Because yeah. I think the writing is more consistent. And um, I don't know. It kind of. Like, I've only watched, like, the first two episodes, I think, and it kind of plays out like a melodrama, and don't get me wrong, I love watching (laughs) Captain Jack Harkness, who doesn't, but, um... Yeah, I just it plays out kind of like a melodrama. I, I don't know. Say, like, I, my, was, if, mm. if I'm gonna watch season nine of Doctor Who, I mm. recommend at least like try and finish the first season of Torchwood. And by I season like the first, I haven't seen season four of Torchwood, but like the first three are really good. And they just like mm. they explore. I think they explore like darker concepts than Doctor Who. Like they they'll get hmm. into just kind of like. Yeah, just like darker, more adult concepts, whereas Doctor Who kind of tries to appeal to a younger audience. I think Torchwood is more for an older, mature audience, I guess. Because I hear there's a lot of like sex happening in it. There's a lot of sex. There's a lot of death and like just uh-huh. like there, there's people just, like, don't really... like come back alive like yeah. you do in Doctor Who. Okay, exactly. Cool. And then and Jack Harkness is just such a good character and like he is. I yeah. I have a quick question. Uh, what's yep. your? How do you think the Amazing Spider-Man movies stack up against the Sam Raimi films? Hmm. Um. (laughs) Okay. Um. So the first Spider-Man is fine, and the second Spider-Man two, great. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's the Doc Ock one. Doc Ock is totally so great. Alfred Molina kills it. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. totally. Spider-Man three. We don't even. Yeah, yeah. Everyone unanimously agrees that movie's terrible. Okay. Um. And then like the Amazing Spider-Man, I just think it's so silly that they decide to make an origin story for it, and that honestly annoyed me so much that I don't even think I could could enjoy it really and so mm. like i mean maybe i could rewatch it and feel better about it but i saw it in theaters and i was like um okay like <laughs> i guess you know like this is fine yeah, I, just, I thought it was all right like i feel oh. so i felt like toby mcguire was a great peter parker mm-hmm. and like an okay spider-man yeah and i feel like andrew garfield was a great spider-man and like not a really great Peter Parker. I actually, yeah, that I, yeah, that's I, really good. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, well, I think that, like yeah. I, had, I have a friend who uh, he just like loves comics, and he said like. Yeah. Peter, yeah, the Peter Parker in the Amazing Spider-Man movies, like he was too cool. Like yeah, Peter Parker's a total he nerd. He wasn't yeah. a nerd. Like yeah. he he was totally suave, and honestly, that just turned me off immediately. I was mm-hmm. like, this isn't yeah. Spider-Man. Like like the suit is what gives him the swagger. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like that's what like makes him feel comfortable totally. expressing himself in that way. Is that mask? You know, and so the fact that he was all like swaggerly and stuff, I was like, mm-hmm. I really don't like this. And so that's why I'm 
so excited for the Spider-Man movie because, <laughs> yeah. like, I feel like this kid is perfect. Like, yeah, yeah. like was, him in Civil War, like, just like the little s- snippet. I was like, was perfect. Yeah, so I, good. I yeah. agree with that, and I didn't even like Civil War as a movie, but I liked. You didn't like Civil War? <gasps> no. I it's, what? It's so I good. Just it's like it's like Super Smash Brothers. I just really, <laughs> I hate, I hate the MCU after the first Avengers, and I know that that's like, really? I know Aww. that like both of you are gonna like hate me for that. I, I, well, here honestly, um, I, I disagree to this effect is that like Iron Man 3 came out after the first Avengers and oh. Iron Man 3 is dark as shit. I guess and I haven't actually it's like, I don't know if I even saw that one. And it's it's great yeah, it because it basically deals with like PTSD and yeah, like, like, like that. Yeah. Okay. yeah, that's exactly mm-hmm. it. Is Tony Stark is like, holy shit, I just like got a whole new perspective of the universe that mm-hmm. he didn't have before. Yeah. He almost died. And so he's literally like in self-destruction mode. And that's what leads to, you know, vision in mm-hmm. Avengers two, right. you know, is him literally trying to deal. And you should um, watch the new, the Thor two, just for like Tom Hiddleston's performance. I'm trying to get back into the MC. The big, like one of the biggest things was I was really disappointed with guardians of the galaxy. Like, and I, I like James Gunn a lot and I just like, I, I had really high, guardians. Yeah, I, I had really guardians high expectations. I just like, it had another. I'm sick of them giving these like faceless, nothing like nothing motivation villains that are just like these big conflicts. I was, yeah, and well, it was just like so weirdly sexist against like the female characters. I, and it I was, agree with the sexism 100. percent But I still thought that Guardians of the Galaxy was like it was just kind of like the Renegade Avengers, and that was kind of nice. Where it's like yeah. it wasn't as like like primp and preen you know I, right. I, like, well, and I, I, I like that I just like it didn't quite hit knock it out of the park and then when Edgar Wright had to walk off of Ant-Man don't I, even yes. get me started I, I, can't, I haven't yeah. even seen it I can't watch it because yeah. I'm like so heartbroken so, that he's not involved you know what I completely respect you for not seeing it for that reason because mm-hmm. I almost boycotted it also mm-hmm. but I was like you know what Edgar Wright still wrote it so <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. sit I'm gonna watch it but it was honestly watching it it was like because I'm I'm a massive Edgar Wright fan. Uh-huh. <laughs> Me too. Like, Let's talk about Edgar like, Wright. It's oh, so good. We, yeah. uh, if we do, I'm going to tell a story that I'm going to regret having recorded. So, uh, but sure. anyway, but no, um, no, for Ant-Man, um, like watching it, it was like seeing Edgar Wright's jokes, knowing his, you know, um, his voice. Mm-hmm. And it was like seeing someone tell a joke and like say the punchline at the wrong time. And it's like, that's literally like what the movie was like sometimes where I was like, no, those, those like crash edits are supposed to happen in a different way. You don't, you don't understand. Like that hurts. And so, yes, like, but, but it's still, I mean, it's still directed by a really great director and um, it honestly, it was a lot of fun. Like Ant-Man is a totally Weird superhero to choose. Yeah. He didn't understand yeah. why. Why don't they give? Why didn't they give Edgar Wright full creative control? Like they, yeah. they gave him this weird superhero. That's why I just didn't understand. He's it. my new favorite Avenger. Is Ant Man just because like, the, the role he, especially I think mainly it, because of him in Civil War, like the role him he plays. In Civil War was great. Well, and, yeah. and that's that's what's like making me want to see it is because my glimpse of Paul Rudd as Ant Man in Civil War, yeah, like it's I, great. I loved him in that. Yeah. And so yeah. I was just like, okay, but maybe surprisingly, like I can Michael Pena steals the show. Yeah, Ant Man. Yeah, it's the best friend. Like. Kills it, it, yeah. yeah, it's it's worth watching, but okay. it will be disappointing. Okay. And if you go in being like, "Yeah, I'm gonna see a girl get bastardized uh-huh. for like 90 minutes," okay, yeah. yeah, you know, if you just go in being like, "Okay, man," like you just you have to watch it for the performances. Yeah, I think. like okay. you yeah. just mm-hmm. like just you know, and like honestly, Paul Rudd as Ant Man is like the best casting choice. Like it's yeah. just like the yeah. casting for Marvel in general is like really like this is too good. Yeah, totally. You yeah. know, like I, Kevin Feige is. Yeah. 
And I'm I will say that the villain in Thor 2 is like the same villain in Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, yeah, just, they're, they're interchangeable. Just, I want yeah. interesting villains. Like, Loki was a great villain, and they can't yeah. keep using him, but right. they need more yeah. villains like that who, like, you right. care about, and you care about the, the stakes. Right. He's like the, I would say he's like the one and only good villain. I'm trying to, like, rack my brain of who... Mm. Oh, um, Hugo Weaving as uh, Red Skull was, was pretty good. Mm. Yeah, that was um, a pretty good one, too. But other than mm. that, yeah, they do kind of, like, he's he's like their, their, their guy, and then that's it. Yeah. Mm. So what's yeah. your what's your Edgar Wright story? Yeah, <laughs> I I mean I I love Edgar Wright. Like I mean he, uh, I think he's such a good storyteller. He takes these ridiculously hilarious movies. He's such a good comedy writer, and mm-hmm. he like really brings in like you know human drama. Like yeah. Shaun of the Dead. I remember the first time seeing Shaun of the Dead, and like those first two acts being like, "This is the fucking funniest movie I've ever seen." Yeah, in my yeah. Life. oh totally. And then in the third act, being like, "What's happening?" <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and absolutely. Like, Third act is amazing. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, oh, it's life. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's like you know they, the, it's it's life. You yeah. know, um, and um, anyway, like just he has so much to say with his movies. I mean, Hot Fuzz. Oh, I saw that movie like three times in theaters. <laughs> like sh- like Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Like not a frame of that movie is wasted. Oh yeah, that, everything yeah. happens like, visually. It's just it's just perfectly mm-hmm. written and cut together. It is, uh, and then I mean. The world end is disappointing. World, really? I, I, so. I love the world's end. I love the world's end. <laughs> to, to I me, think the story pacing end, is off. Uh, to me, That's what I like about it. <laughs> the world's end is one of the saddest movies I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And, yeah. and that's what's so intense about it is that it's mm-hmm. like we all know that friend who who peaked in high school. Right? Yeah. You oh, know? absolutely. Or, yeah. or it's like that friend who can't let go of the past and who can't move on, whether it's because of an addiction or mm-hmm. just because of of just literally not being able to let go. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it's so sad. And totally, but it's yeah. also just like I, I mean, it's also that idea of like, you know, growing up in a small town and mm-hmm. going back mm-hmm. and like everybody's kind of the same but a little bit different. Yeah. You know? And that's I mean, I think that's what he was trying to access with the film too. Totally, was like yeah. was like, hey, I'm back home. Everybody's the same. It's all the same. It's Starbucking, you know? Uh-huh. But it's also then like, oh, wait, everything is slightly right. off. Yeah. yeah. Is it heinous? Is or it, is are it... we different or is the town different? Exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I mean, so... Oh, go ahead. I totally agree with you that it's one of the saddest films, especially as like a, f- a friend of like those friends. And like you just, you don't reach out to them. Like right. even you know like they're hurting deep down and it's like, oh, they're annoying. So like I'm not going right. to say anything. You know? Because like, how do you help them? Yeah. I will, I will say this. I do like the movie a lot. It's uh-huh. just the one that, like, when I show people, they're always like, they, that's the one that they don't connect with, or that's the one that's hard to get, and I think it's just, like, an awkward pacing, but, like... It, I think it's, it's just too sad. Maybe you it's know? too sad, I yeah. think that's what it is, is that it's, like, a lot of Edgar Wright's films are super funny, and mm-hmm. while there are lots of funny moments in that movie, it exposes a side that is probably hmm. in all of us that is not fun to, yeah. to look at. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, like, I think, like, you, no matter who you are in that array of friends, one of, you are one of those characters. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Totally. And nobody is their best in that film. Well, yeah. I, I love, I love just the, the, that last scene between Nick Frost and Simon Pegg where uh-huh. they're, like, just, like, fighting and they're yeah. just, like, uh-huh. punching each other. It's just, like... That is such a real friend moment of like your yeah. real yeah. friend is going to be the one who you haven't seen in years and who you like betrayed and he's just like going to punch you in the face yeah. when you're like throwing your life away and like right. I, I'll agree to, like that scene <laughs> gets me every yeah. time. It's yeah. really good. good. Yeah. Yeah. I, I 
I just enjoy the weird pacing of it, like how the first act is way too long. Yeah, and then yeah. all of a sudden, like a guy's like head gets like popped off or something. Like, <laughs> sure. like what? So like, like you get like shoved into the second act, like so, like furiously. Yeah, that's, well, yeah. I, I think the second act is is like really. Strong, that's where the movie really starts. Yeah, um, yeah. and then I love uh, how you catch different things when you watch it over again. Yeah, like the numbers. Uh, yes, like, of, right. Yeah, um, like the names of the of the bars. Oh, right, and things yeah, like yeah. that. And like they'll say things at the beginning that like come true at the end. Like he's, I think mm-hmm. Gary King's like, do you think like after a battle, the king would just like come in and like order five waters, and that, that's what he does at the end. Yeah, yeah. he goes in and orders five water. Like I love like the the cyclical like yeah. aspect yeah. of and, it. Yeah, yeah. well, it's and like, there's like it's the, just really nerdy. Well, like and the thing too is like he he like regales the tale of the perfect night, right? And yeah, the exactly. people who uh-huh. fall off at the night are they fall off in the same order? In the same order, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah you I love know, that. and uh-huh. it's like yeah, it's like he's but he's so good at that because all of his movies have that structure, like Shaun of the Dead, like at uh-huh. the beginning, like he yeah. goes through the patterns of life and then uh, of like his day to day and then like right. the second half he does it but with zombies right you know uh-huh. and yeah. then like hot fuzz like you know people go through their day to day like it's the big you know yeah. like it's just like he always kind of takes that third act and just goes Whoop. yeah the foreshadowing <laughs> in all those movies oh, is just amazing so good yeah. For, oh, yeah and i've said this on the show before but i i love like how the ending of every one of the movies in the cornetto trilogy is like it feels like the character development is two steps forward one step back like yeah. he, he's learned yeah. something mm-hmm. and like because the end he's kind of still a shithead like I don't know like, he hasn't yeah. fully learned like he, he's going into this bar and he's still trying to antagonize everybody but he's drinking water like he's getting sober and yeah. he's with yeah. his friends and like and like yeah Shaun of the Dead he's like prioritizing uh, his girlfriend but he's also like still kind of lazy or whatever like they're, right. they're yeah. I don't know. It just feels like this real character development of like you can go through this traumatic thing and you're still not a perfect person by the end of it. And that's I, I just yeah. really love that kind of stuff. Oh, totally. Uh, what so was I- the thing that you did? You weren't sure if you wanted recorded. <laughs> oh, I'm going to regret this. <laughs> um, so a few years ago, Edgar Wright was a judge at Sundance. OK. Um, and, you know, he was out and about and like you'd see him around and I was like, oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then um, I ended up going to this party. He was also at that party. No way. <laughs> That's so and, cool. And, um, yeah, cool. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to say hi. Yeah. Like, uh-huh. that's all I'm going to do. Yeah. It's just... You know, the party's super crowded. It's like, you know, it's like a small room. Everyone's like kind of packed in. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'll just like wiggle my way over and I'll uh-huh. just like say hi. And so I go over and... Um, and I say hi, and he's like, oh, hi. And, like, we kind of talk about the festival, and it's like, oh, the conversation's going fine. <laughs> like, it was just fine. Yeah. It was just like, oh, this yeah. is nice. I was yeah, like, this yeah. is really pleasant. We're being <laughs> kind. And, and um, yeah, and then, like, someone came and kind of, like, interrupted us for a second because we are like, by the fridge, and they, like, reach in to get a beer. And it was kind of like that moment where someone just, like, you, like, you, like, you break the gaze, and you're like, wait. What? What? And mm-hmm. then you like sort of come outside yourself for a second. You're like, oh, you're just like kind of at like a house party talking to your hero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, totally. um, and then I suddenly was like, it's like the only time I've ever been starstruck in my life. Like I've met a lot of people that I very respect and uh-huh. highly esteem. And I just like, <sighs> and so then I just sat there and I was like, yeah, so like. That's cool. Um, like you're the reason why I became a filmmaker. Um, (laughs) And like that's like not the thing you say to somebody. He's like, oh wow, like that's cool. And I'm like, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it's like really cool. So so I'm gonna get a beer or something. He's like, okay, cool. And I'm like, shit. And then like I was like, oh my god, what did I do? Like, why did I try and like kickstart our conversation again by like saying something so stupid? Like you never say that to somebody. It's like, and that's the thing is that like, and honestly. 
he's not the reason why I became a filmmaker, yeah. but he did inspire me to uh, like yeah. really think about editing differently. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, I was just like, um, how do I like start talking to him again? Like, cause yeah. I want to like talk you, to you him like, more. You like get into like a little too fast. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I just suddenly That's just so didn't good. know what to do. And I was like, wow, I made a total ass of myself. And, <laughs> and you know, like I've always had blue hair and like, I think at the time too, like I had this haircut that was kind of similar to Ramona Flowers. And so then I started, I started like freaking out about that. I was like, Oh my God, does he think that I'm like some crazy, like, Oh yeah. Like I dress up as Ramona Flowers (laughs) everything. And so then I started getting in my own head about it. And I like grabbed my beer. I didn't even finish it. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go like before I like make an idiot of myself. So then I like went outside and I like called a cab or something or an Uber. I don't even know if Uber was even around. Um, and, um, and I remember like I was just standing outside and then he ended up coming outside with a couple of friends or something and I was like no just like no, don't even like I was just like I'm just gonna get in the car I'm just gonna get in the van and just like go you yeah. know I was like I was just sitting there like kind of keeping to myself and he like kind of I think like turned and like acknowledged that I was standing out there or something and I just didn't even look I was like oh, nope man. I'm like I'm over it I was like I made a total ass of myself I was like I just don't even and like that's like why I don't I almost like don't want to record it because I'm like I just don't I like I want a second chance yeah <laughs> and if he listens to our podcast like yeah. he might never he might give you one he might give me one okay yeah. I hope so or he'll just like we'll become like best friends and he'll like listen to it later and be like oh that's yeah. so funny and I'm totally kidding about all of that <laughs> but you know it's just like one of those moments where you you're like, cool. I, I met someone I really respect, and like, <laughs> and I just like was. It was going great. Yeah, it was going so well, and it was just like <laughs> a just cool a like turn. conversation. And then I lost it. So that was cool. Uh, at least you got to meet Edgar Wright. Like, yeah, that's more than we can like, say. Great. Cool. <laughs> you know, I, I actually don't even say that. I say I got to make an ass of myself in front sure, of Edgar Which is like maybe even cooler. Like yeah. not everyone maybe. Not say that. Yeah, I guess. You know, it's like it's not nearly as cool as like. Oh, Oh, Edgar Wright like really thought that I was a cool thoughtful person and like is interested in <laughs> yeah, collaborating yeah. with me sometime no he just was like who's that freak who's like dressed who's just up like Ramona 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 flowers. Flowers. Yeah. <laughs> which is not something everyone uh, can say <laughs> so anyway that's the embarrassing story so we can cool you can just wrap up on that sure yeah, yeah. let's do it there's uh, a cool. let's get into the takeaway yeah so uh this this part is uh we call it a takeaway and so okay. basically the way I like to describe it is if someone were to just like fast forward to one soundbite uh what would you want them to be left with um mm, i would say that um never be afraid of asking for help i guess yeah, like no. um of being both creatively and personally i guess mm-hmm. like i know that after three years of basically asking for favors constantly mm-hmm. um i i was even talking to somebody about it today where i was like i just i'm kind of afraid of asking because i've been asking for so long yeah and right. he's like what <laughs> why he's like you if you're gonna get it done you have to like yeah you have to ask for help so just never never stop asking for help because i mean the worst thing you get is someone saying eh, not this time but most of the time people are like hell yeah so cool. I guess that's like the biggest takeaway I have because yeah. it's both mental and creative. Yeah, yeah, perfect. And then do you want to like do the plug over or do you, should I just like um, edit it in? Sure, I'll do a plug. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, um, I would say, um, yeah, uh, check out my project Bleeding Audio where feature length music documentaries I talked about. Uh, we'll be launching a Kickstarter or have a Kickstarter that is launched. And so, the link will be in the description. The it, link will be in the description. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, uh, support us if you can, whether it's monetarily or just share it. And um, we really just want to make a really cool film for you to see. So, you know, 
if you love it, help us. If not, then that's fine too. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I hope to have, um, more projects in the works in the future. I mean, not even hope I will. I just got to finish this one first. And then, um, I don't know, follow me on Twitter, um, at Chelsmark. And then you can follow me on Instagram if you want lots of pictures of my dog. <laughs> and then occasionally I post nice things, but most of the time it's pictures of my dog. Your dog's like great. Oh, thank you. My, he's, he's so cute. Oh, he's the best. Um, I'm biased, but he is the best. But my Instagram is at Chelsea Christer. So cool. Great. Yeah. John, you got right. anything to plug? Uh, no. Watch Doctor Who Series 9. <laughs> yes. <laughs> No, uh, my Twitter at John Lee two seven one. That's all I got. Cool. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me uh, at k underscore hoog, and you can go to my YouTube channel YouTube dot com slash what a nerd show. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for yeah. thank you so us, much. That was, that was a blast. A lot of fun. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Thanks for coming. I yeah, know it absolutely. was a bit of a trek. So oh, no, it's no problem. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm ready. ready. Hit that button. Thanks for listening to the process. If you enjoyed what you heard here today. Uh, be sure to like our Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Process with John Kevin, or give us a subscribe over at soundcloud.com slash The Process uh, with John Kevin. I also haven't been plugging this season <laughs> our Patreon account. Oh my Patreon. God. Patreon.com yeah. slash The Process. Throw us a bone. <laughs> yes, please. Uh, or at Process Podcast on Twitter. Also, there's like a billion podcasting apps. Just, oh, just do it all. Find a way do to make it happen. It. And join us next week. The San Jose Romp <laughs> continues Romp. with musician Andrew Beach. Andrew so. Beach. He does our intro and transition songs. Yeah, that's him. And he designed the logo. I have to show Junko. you. Yeah. yeah. All right. Oh, wait. He did, did he really? Yeah. How, how did you not open with this? Well. All right. Andrew Beach <laughs> <laughs> next week. Check it out. Thanks, guys. Thanks.